BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. I love the way, Catherine, halfway through that you thought, I'm better than this. <laughs> and I hate to break it to you, you're not. <laughs> None of us are. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. None of us are better than talking about Nadine Doris eating a camel's toe. Yes, yes. Did you see her on I'm a Celebrity last night? Mid-beds MP Nadine Doris eating a camel's toe. I didn't see it. Um, I was asleep. I was in bed by eight o'clock last night. I know! But our political correspondent, Paul Scoynes, did. And if we can wake him up, then the sad bear will be on the radio to tell us all about it. Also, young people apply for 17 jobs before they even get an interview. How difficult has it been for your son or daughter or your grandchildren to get a job? And former Luton South MP Margaret Moran did fiddle her expenses. We can say that she did. She's guilty. We speak to the campaign group who say that justice hasn't been done. And do you know what? I kind of came in feeling a bit grumpy. Some of the team were a bit grumpy. There were some grumpy emails. This Moran story's got me grumpy. The story we're going to do later on about the junk mail has got me grumpy. We're going to have a grumpy Wednesday. If you're feeling grumpy, let's not try and fight it off. No, let's embrace the grumpiness. If you just want to phone up and have a whinge, then you're more than welcome to. This, this, This morning... You can come on and just have a whinge about anything. The Wednesday whinge. 08459 455 555. It can be that you've run out of milk. It can be the state of the country. Anything you want. I don't care. Let's just embrace it and grumpiness today. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. By the way, if you go to the Facebook page, there is an exclusive behind-the-scenes documentary with a very small d uh, of this show. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR and you get to meet the team. Wow. Uh, and see what happens uh, in putting together your breakfast show. Now, the Taxpayers Alliance say they feel like justice hasn't been done after former Luton South MP Margaret Moran was found to have fiddled her expenses to the tune of £53,000. According to the House of Commons, in 2009, she repaid £6,000 in relation to claims on her second home in Southampton. Excuse me, and £65 uh, back for office cleaning. Wow, a whole £65. Following the ruling yesterday, the Crown Prosecution Service say they will look to see if any action might be taken in the recovery of the rest of the funds. She can't be sent to jail like other MPs who've been convicted of fraudulently claiming expenses as she wasn't mentally fit enough to stand trial. The question now is, will she pay any of it back? This is what people in her former constituency think. I think that she should pay all the money back that if she has actually um, made it fraudulent and regardless she should recompense the council for her actions and it's it's not doing the town any good the the morale in the town of the people is really bad you you think even now her legacy still sort of yes lives on yes i do yes i do luton hasn't got a very good reputation as it is and she's just dragged us down even further again now. Well, I needed her help, and she didn't have, even have the courtesy to return my call. So you think she should pay the money back? Yes, I do. Do you think she's brought the town into disgrace? 
because she's brought herself into disgrace. I do seriously feel that Margaret Moran should pay back the money which she misappropriated from public funds. I think it's totally disgraceful. The same law should apply to everybody. If you take funds that are not legally yours, you should repay them if you're found to actually carried out that crime. It's a crime as far as I'm concerned. And after all, she does have the money. And after all, she definitely must have the money, yes. Definitely. Uh, she's, as far as I'm concerned, she's stolen it. She's got payback. Uh, I think she should be prosecuted for it. It's theft. So, reporter Tony Fisher there, speaking to the people of Luton. Well, we can find out what the Taxpayers Alliance makes of the story. Jonathan Isabee is from the Alliance. He joins me now. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Ian. As a campaign group, you believe that tax is wasted by the government. When you hear about MPs' expenses, and, and uh, how does that make you feel? Well, we, we don't think every bit of tax is wasted by the government. We certainly think that they take too much of our tax, and you know, that which they do take, they should spend more sensibly. Um, but, yeah, no, what, what you have here is a situation where, you know, justice does not feel to have been done. And, and clearly from the people you spoke to on the streets of Luton yesterday, they all agree that, you know, this is money which was taken fraudulently, uh, the, the jury found that she did fiddle her expenses to the tune of more than £50,000. It's mm. a huge amount of money. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think any, every step should be taken to try and recover that money from her. I gather the Crown Prosecution Service are looking into uh, whether there's some means by which they can do it. Uh, one wonders whether, you know, in extremists there might be a case for you know, some kind of private um, civil action against her to recover it because the, the facts are clear. You know, on numerous counts, she forged invoices for non-existent goods and services. She was claiming for a landline telephone at a flat which didn't have a telephone at all. Uh, she was, uh, you, know, you know, creating fake bills for, for addresses that didn't exist. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely I, outrageous. I was reading through it this morning, and you're right. So it, it's not just, hey, she claimed for, uh, you know, a satellite dish. You know, it, these are big things. These are forged documents from building companies, aren't they, for work that didn't happen? Yeah, this is, forging documents in order to claim money from taxpayers. Um, it, it, it's an utter, utter abuse. And it, you know, it's, it's actually, I think, in terms of the, the amount of money, it's the worst abuse uh, of any of the cases that came up uh, as a result of that MP's expenses scandal. But the thing that's confused me, Jonathan, is we knew from quite early on that she couldn't be, be sent to prison, uh, and yet it still costs about £80,000 to get this case through court. Is that money well spent? Well, I think if there had not been due process, you know, we would not have been in a position this morning to be able to say, yes, for sure, she did fiddle the expenses, and we know that uh, the wrong was done, and that, you know, it's not simply an allegation, it is a statement of fact uh, that that happened. Um, you know, we do have... Uh, a system of justice in this country which, you know, does cost money and there, there are certainly, you know, a, lo a lot of ways in which it probably ought to be reduced the amount of the cost of these things happen, but um, I, I think it was right that that happened I, I think it's a, I'm, I'm very sorry that she's not very well and that she was not able to stand trial uh, you know, obviously the judge made the decision that she, she was not uh, physically able to stand trial uh, you know, in, in the last few weeks for this um 
but you know it, it just creates such a massive sense of frustration for mm. taxpayers, particularly those people in Luton who were her constituents, uh, who feel that she has absolutely let them down uh, and you know, taken advantage and, and abused the system. Jonathan, thank you very much. Jonathan Isabi from the Taxpayers uh, Alliance. It is. It, it, it's. Frust- I've got a friend of mine who has been to prison for various offences, and he was furious at this because he says he's known grown men who have been who have attempted suicide who have literally pulled their hair out out of anxiety of going to court and the, the possibility of going to prison i mean listen she's been said that she's not well enough and stuff it'll be interesting to know exactly how unwell she is isn't she it does seem like you know she's been found guilty but there's there's not any justice well later on we'll be speaking to a criminal lawyer who's dealt with clients who've been deemed unfit to plead to shed more on this story speak to you after this the calls baby come back this is ian lee bbc three counties radio oh eight four five nine four double five five double five we're having a, a, a wednesday whinge off if you want to have a whinge about anything you're more than welcome to I can't stress how important it is sometimes just to have a bit of a whinge. I, I am quite a grumpy middle-aged man. I, I can't wait till I'm old because I'm going to be so miserable and so grumpy. But embrace your inner grumpy old man or unp- grumpy old woman this morning. Give us a call and have a whinge about anything. I'm annoyed. We're going to talk about junk mail later on and that's got me grumpy. The Moran story's got me grumpy. L- lots of things. The, the fact that the council won't come on and talk about that fire off the end. Well, that's got me grumpy. I'm grumpy about a lot of things. Come and join me. 08459 455 555. Exploit the BBC and be grumpy on it, for goodness sakes. Hey, this is exciting. Not only is it Jonathan Vernon Smith's birthday today, and boy, have I got him some good presents. Oh! I exaggerated slightly when I said they were both from the pound shop. One was from the pound shop. The other one cost me £6.99. So I spent a total, get this, kids, £7.99. I've only known him three months. That's more than I spent on my mum's birthday. Honestly, it is. He'll be getting those later on. But he won't be coming into the studio to get them. I'll tell you for why. Because he's out and about... How are you feeling about not being represented in Parliament at the moment if you live in mid-beds with Nadine Doris in the Australian jungle? Well, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is going to hold his very own unique surgery, replacing Nadine's surgery. Join JVS on the High Street in Shefford this Wednesday morning from 9 o'clock by the War Memorial, just down the road from Nadine's office. Uh, and uh, you can have, a, have a, a chat with him. Now, listen, we can't, of course, guarantee that he can solve anything. But if anybody... He'll have a darn good crack at it. If you want to get in touch, you can email us now. If you send an email to jvsshow at bbc.co.uk with any problems that you think that normally your MP would solve, but she can't because she's in the jungle eating ostriches' anuses. Yes, that's what she was doing last night. <clears throat> then send an email jvsshow at bbc.co.uk and um, maybe this morning, maybe this morning he might attempt to solve your problem now, if your son or daughter is struggling to get an interview, let alone a job, then they are far from alone Uh, according to a study out today most of them are applying for 17 positions before being offered an interview, I bet it's even more than that to be honest employment statistics show that many job seekers blame the schooling system while half admit they could do more personally to get a job Margaret Baskwell-Byrne is the Managing Director at Red Recruitment Limited in Luton. Morning, Margaret. Good morning. Why do you think it takes so long for young people to even get an interview, let alone find a job? I just think the whole process system of recruiting at the moment has... uh, They have to apply on websites, they have to answer loads of scenario questions, and I think it does put youngsters off. It's just like a barrier. Um, I don't think they're prepared either. It puts them off? 
Yeah. What, having to answer questions? Well, the questions are quite difficult. <laughs> they, oh, really? No work, work, no work experience, and they're supposed to explain scenarios with customers in shops how they would deal with situations. But that's Even just... 16, 17-year-olds. But, but they've been in shops. They know good and bad customer service, don't they? And that, that, uh, that, that will show initiative if they yeah, can answer that. Yeah, it would, but uh, some of these questions go on for 35, 40 questions, then they wait weeks for response, and then they get bog-standard response back. It's just one of, one of these yes. areas that if they're having to keep doing that, that's demoralising. They're not getting the response. They're not even getting a chance for an interview. But also, I think we could do a lot more in our schools and colleges to prepare them with CVs, how to actually attend an interview if they do get an interview. I was going to say, isn't part of the problem that, well, listen, I've, I have seen CVs, not that I've been in an employing position, but I have seen, I've been in offices where people, HR have gone, have a look at this, have a look at, you will not believe this CV, and it's just awful. Some of them are handwritten. Well, even if it's handwritten in some ways, I think that at least they, you can see if they can actually right not when it's written in red pen yeah that's true but um i do think that the cvs they're not they rely on spell check which obviously doesn't always check no. the grammar um but i think that should be a basic skill that should be taught in schools and colleges yeah because we're all going to need to put cvs together and i think also a little bit of training or what an interview can involve because often interviews involve a panel of people testing on site when people are very nervous and you've got to remember, these are young people and not experienced yeah. like us. What are some of the worst things you've seen? On CV? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, the, you know, sort of like 50% of spelling errors right through the CVs. We will check our CVs before they go out to our clients. Right. So at least uh, if the agency's working on your behalf, they will look. So at Redricate, we do go through. And we won't just correct them, we actually point out the typing errors or the grammar errors. So Is it okay to lie on them a little bit, Margaret? No, I don't think you should lie. I should think you should look at the job spec that you're applying for, or the vacancy you're applying for, and see where you could mirror those qualities and skills. So you can fine-tune your CV. But there's no point lying, so you can do something when you can't. I tell you the thing I hate, and, I, I, and I, I, we were talking about this in the office yesterday, and some people said their friends had done it, is when they do CVs that stand out. Like, they'll put it in an envelope full of glitter or something. Or they'll, they'll get it, po- you know, they'll have a T-shirt printed with a CV on, or stuff like that. Those wacky things don't work, do they? No, they no. don't. And uh, they went through a phase where people put their photographs on uh, CVs, oh. and that's, again, that's not a good idea. Although, I think you keep your CV simple, keep it to two pages. Yeah. Especially when you're very young, you possibly can only fill a page. My advice is that they put all the extra curriculum things, like if they're in sports teams, which they might not think is important, but it shows team... Are they really important? If you say, I right, on, say on Saturday afternoons I go to the pub and I do, I'm a part of the local darts club, it is next or Topshop or, or wherever going to go, oh, hey, he's in the darts club, let's get this one in. Well, it shows that he's part of a team, he's willing to train up, he's committed to that team. He's uh, obviously got a bit of an outgoing, or she's got an outgoing personality. She's not going to be shy, so if that was someone serving in my, my shop, I'd be very interested in that sort of person. And you remember, you haven't got much work experience to talk about. They've only got their qualifications. Uh, so they need to add in some things that they've been doing. Um, any voluntary work is really important as well, if they do the Dukes of Edinburgh. All these things an employer will look at because they accept that they don't have the experience. How competitive is it for young people to get a job? I'm guessing there are lots of people going for not many jobs. Yeah, and the, the situation is, even we just don't talk about their career jobs, the basic getting part-time Saturday jobs is 
very competitive. They can't even get Saturday jobs yeah. anymore. Well, you can't walk in and like oh. in the old days where you just hand your CV into the shop manager. In the, it, when I got my website. first job at B Jams, I was I was fifteen years old. Didn't even have a CV. I just went. A friend of mine said, "Oh, they got loads of jobs going at B Jams. Come down." I went in, saw this bloke, Mr. Campbell. Got any jobs going? Yep, you can start on Friday night. Boom. Well, I'm the same generation. Yes. I just walked into the big retail fashion shop, asked if they needed a saddled girl, and got employed straight away. But, but this is what I'm saying, that when now they have to go through all this loop of going onto websites, downloading a CD, answering all the questions, and they don't even get as far as an interview. But, but Margaret, you can't be saying that going onto a website and answering some tricky questions is a bad thing. That, that will no, sort out the wheat from the thing, chaff, won't it? It is one of the things. It, it, you know, if they're having hundreds and hundreds of applications, what's happening is that the teenagers are getting no's without any clarification what's wrong. Is it, is it their qualifications? They don't even know if they've answered the questions right or wrong, so they can't even improve on it. Whereas if someone goes to an interview through RED, we will always try and get interview feedback and, and give that to the candidate. They, they can't improve if they're not being advised where they're going wrong in the process of applying for a job. Margaret, thank you very much. Managing Director at RED Recruitment Limited uh, on the Facebook page. Heidi Clark has said, My son graduated 18 months ago and he's applied for about 20 jobs a week. Still no job. If you've got um, kids, 17, 18, how patronise, listen to me, if you've got kids who are 18, young people in your family, maybe your, your children or your grandchildren, are they struggling to get a job? How difficult is it for your son or your daughter to get a job? 08459. Four double five, five double five is the phone number. Later on, we'll be speaking to a graduate who's applied for more than 50 jobs without any luck. I'm kind of lucky doing this ridiculous. I haven't got a CV. I, I do a silly job. I don't need a CV. Imagine if you had to write a CV. Where you, do, you, do, you, do you have to put like your GCSEs and things on it? Oh, God. What a depressing read that would be. 08459 four double five five double five. Also the number for the Wednesday whinge. If you want to have a moan. I'm really grumpy today. I don't know why. I was in bed at eight o'clock, had quite a good night's sleep. I'm just in a bit of a, you know, just got a bit of a, a, a grump on. Call 08459 do you think that she's suffered enough? She's been in there, she's done it, she's, she's had a good crack. Do you think she's suffered enough? 08459 455 555. And BBC Radio is marking its 90th birthday today. We're speaking to a, a, a Radio 1 legend later on. It's not Edith Bowman. No, it's not. It's, it's not Vernon Kay. No, it's a proper legend. Very exciting. Now, listen to this. this is, how much junk mail do you get? It, it does annoy me. I get a lot of it. Of course I do. You do. Well, junk mail is set to make up an even greater share of the average postbag as Royal Mail tries to compensate for the flagging number of genuine letters. The total number of addressed letters fell by 9% in the six months to September. When did you last send a letter? Like a proper letter. Not a bill or a cheque or, you know, something like... When did you write a letter? So, right, I'm going to write a letter to my nan or to my grandson or to my friend. When did you do that? Could you let us know? I bet that, that, that there is no one listening to this show right now who sent a letter in the last month. 
08459 455 555 if you can prove me wrong on that. Anyway, back to this. Unaddressed junk mail and flyers increased in volume to 1.6 billion, billion items. 1.6 billion? I think they were all delivered to me last week. 60 million higher than in the same period last year. Combined with marketing letters addressed to individuals, marketing mail is now approaching half of all letter volumes. Royal Mail's chief executive, Moya Green, said, We think we're poised to increase our share of the £16 billion advertising market in the UK. It's front page of the Daily Mail. Now listen, it's a big story. Is it really a front page story? I'm not sure. Perhaps they could have gone with something else. But the front page of the mail is an avalanche of junk mail. It gets even more prominent than that naughty cleric, Abu Qatada. So, two things here. How much junk mail do you get? You, you've probably kept yesterday's, because it takes a few days, doesn't it, to throw it away. Or maybe you, you're going to get your post in a little bit. When your post comes, or if you've still got yesterday's, could you just count how many pieces of junk mail you've got, including the pizzas, including um, the, the letters from the charities, including the, um, the, the... I had one from Virgin Broadband. I'm not even on Virgin Broadband, and they sent me a letter. All of those. Could you just count how much you got yesterday or how much you get today? And you can text in 81333. Start your text 3CR. And also, can we find somebody who sent a letter in the last month, a proper letter... 08459 455 555. I bet we can't. The art of letter writing is dead. Long live the email. Your whinges are coming in thick and fast. We've got a celebrity whinge. Oh, yes, famous people not listening to the show. There's no, but on Twitter, yes. My good showbiz buddy, Arlene Phillips. I met her twice. She says, can I whinge via Twitter? An aircon fan keeps switching on and off in my Toronto apartment bedroom, driving me crazy. I need sleep. And Arlene, you're in Toronto. That almost negates the whinge, but of course you can. The worst thing, and we've all said this, in posh hotels and in cheap hotels that are 20 quid a night, is if you're near the lift. You get out and your room's next to the lift. You think, oh, that's convenient. Oh, that's very handy. I'm, I'm next to the lift. Oh, this is going to make my life so much easier. Then, of course, you remember at one o'clock in the morning that being near the lift means you get to hear the uh, lift shaft all night. No one wants to hear a shaft all night, do they? And then you get to hear the drunk people coming out of the lift all night. So it's not so convenient, is it? 08459 455 555. Wednesday winch. It's happening now. If you want to take part, then please. It could be anything, big or small. You've got no milk in for your tea. You're upset with the way the country's being run. Anything at all. Now, it was Nadine Doris's second Bush Tucker trial last night. The Midbeds MP. She's an MP, is she? I didn't realise. Had to eat five dishes to win five meals. Doesn't sound that bad, does it? That's camel toe. What do you mean camel toe? You've got to eat a portion of the camel toe. You can go two nil in the lead now, Nadine. Does it taste <laughs> vile? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to chew. Oh. Is it down? You got it. You got yeah, it. Just... Well done. Oh my god! Well done. Seriously. <sighs> two out of two. That was hard. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Oh. Yeah, that's not that one. That's what you want to hear uh, during breakfast, isn't it? Is uh, um, uh, an outspoken MP retching live on air. That's what you want. That's what the BBC's for. So, uh, a baked off... Baked, now, what does she have? A camel toe, a baked spider... Oh, have I really got to say this out loud? An ostrich anus, 
and a lamb's testicle later, she had successfully taken four meals back to the camp. I do apologise if you've got kids listening. Oh, God, the taste of that. Is it gone? Oh. Yeah. Quick. So, well done, Nadine. That's four Ooh. out of five, which means you are today's winner. You go back to camp with four meals. They'll be absolutely ecstatic to get some food tonight. I'm sad it's not five and it's only four, but I'll go without and they can have it. Anyway, you've eaten. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you should go without. You failed the task, love. She missed out on taking five meals back because she didn't eat the fermented egg. So, are the public slowly forgiving her? Was she voted to do tonight's Bush Tucker trial? It is between <laughs> Helen and Nadine. Oh, it's only one person. The one person yeah. the public have decided they want to see face cruelty towers is... Helen. Oh. <laughs> you know where it is. We'll see you at the Bush to a trial area. Well, today on the JVS show, Jonathan's programme comes live from Mid-Bedfordshire, the constituency where Nadine Doris is occasionally uh, a member of Parliament. While she was chewing on unmentionables in the jungle, her constituents were chewing on the fact that she's thousands of miles away. Hey, who writes this stuff? This is good today. This is good. Her role in I'm a Celebrity means that she is nowhere near her office in Shefford, where she holds her surgery, to listen to the concerns of the people who she asked to vote for him. Well, she's not there, but someone a little bit better is. Jonathan Vernon Smith. He's on the high street in Shefford from nine until tw- until twelve today. If you've got a problem that you wanted her to hear, then go and tell her instead. No, him instead. Hang on a second. If he can help, he will. And it's his birthday, and he loves getting birthday kisses from the listeners. He told me that. He's a consumer champion. Get him in there. So I put a little bit of echo on their production. See production values. This is what it's all about. This is we're going to take this. Breakfast show into the, the late na- 1990s. Now, on the subject of writing letters, Margaret's in Harpenden. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. You don't write letters, do you? I do. No, you don't. I write letters and I write emails. You've just phoned up to be peculiar with me. When was the, what was the last letter you wrote? Yesterday. Mm, okay, <laughs> okay. Now, let's further investigation. Who was it to? A friend. And g- give us, without going into the particulars, give us the gist of it. Well, it was going to be her, one of her birthdays, and I did send a rather nice birthday letter together with a birthday oh, card. Oh, Margaret, Margaret, I'm so sorry. I can't include that. It's a birthday card. Well, there's a letter. No, a no, that's card. a... I can, <laughs> Margaret, no, 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 no. I can't include a letter included in a birthday card. No, don't be so silly. No, that's not what you said, is it? No, you it, said, you, no. said. <laughs> you put a letter in a birthday card. That doesn't count. OK, let's exclude that. That one's off the list. When was the last time you sent a letter, the Sons card? There was no card involved. Oh, gosh, about, uh, about a couple of months ago. There we go. You see, I, that, Margaret, I'm afraid I have to exclude you. I'm looking for someone who specifically sent a letter. I'm sorry to be harsh. <laughs> who specifically sent a letter in the last month. And a letter inside a card, it doesn't... Are you one of those people, Margaret, that at Christmas you do a round robin? Well, you do like a, you do a letter. Uh, no, I, not really. Oh, no, I don't like no. those. Do you, did you ever? Do you, I've got friends that do those, or my mum's friends do those. They say, "Okay, so hi everyone. This is what's been happening in the last twelve months." And you think, "Oh, for goodness' sakes, I'm really not yeah. that bothered." Well, to be true, I have done that, and then I thought, "No, this is not quite the thing to do, is it?" So I just normal Christmas card. Okay. Write a note in it. That's it. Well, next time you send a letter, sans card, let me know. Do you get a lot of junk mail, Margaret? Too much junk mail. What kind of stuff do you get? 
got everything on the earth, I think, and I'm, I don't appreciate it. I'm an elderly lady. I've got arthritis in my back, and I have to bend down every day and pick the wretched stuff up. Oh, hang on a minute. We've got uh, Catherine. If you're listening, we've got a news angle on this. So, <laughs> El- hang on. No, listen. This is a, this is a good story. So, pensioners with arthritis are being yes. forced into painful positions yes. because of the Royal Mail's stance on making more money by sending out junk mail. Absolutely. I yes. have I have put a notice on my letterbox which says. No free leaflets, but... Don't work. If you want to stop leaflets from the Royal Mail, you have to go, and I don't know where it is, somewhere on email to a certain site to say give them certain details and then they will consider not putting them through your door. Margaret, thank you very much for your call. I'm sorry to be so harsh, but in being harsh... I think we've got a national story out of this. Elderly people with arthritis are being forced, enduring pain because of the Royal Mail trying to make more money. This is disgusting. Thank you, Margaret. Excellent call. On uh, Facebook, Tony O'Hara. Is it wearing a Wednesday whinge? I'm always grumpy on a Wednesday. It's my day off, and I seem to be hounded by cold callers on the phone and at the door. Not good if you work. No. Those people that knock on the door. Can you spare a minute, sir? No, I can't spare a minute. I was having a doze. I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. I like to have a doze at two o'clock in the afternoon. For goodness sakes. <sighs> How can you be grumpy when you're listening to Candy by Robbie Williams? It's just so much fun. Can I just ask members of my team, don't send me naughty messages while I'm in the studio, please. Save them for off air. It wasn't any of you. It's, it's, it's Kelly Betts upstairs. Sent me a very, very naughty message that made me laugh out loud. I'm glad I received that while a record was playing. So we're still looking for someone who's written a letter in the last month. We had that y- lovely young lady who was on earlier. It doesn't count because she sent it with a birthday card. No, I'm not going to include that, I'm afraid. Sending a birthday card. Oh, I'll jot some stuff down. It doesn't count. If you specifically sent a letter in the last month, none of you will have done. The letter is dead. Long live the email. Or the text, lol. 08459 455 555. Now, I think this is a cracking story. The BBC Radio, the BBC Radio, is marking its 90th birthday today. To mark the occasion, um, the corporation uh, are airing 90 tiny 90-second programmes featuring archive content from 1922 to 2012. Problem is, which bits do you choose? There are so many. Well, I'm genuinely excited now. We get to speak to a proper legend of radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr Diddy David Hamilton. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Do you still... Do you, do you get upset when people still use the uh, prefix Diddy? Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was about 45 years ago now that, that uh, Ken Dodd gave me that nickname. You're a grown man now, aren't you? And, and at the time, he said to me, uh, do you mind me calling you that? Because if you mind, I won't do it anymore. He said, but if you don't mind, I think it'll stick, and I've been stuck with it that <laughs> time. Boy, oh boy, did it stick. But you are an adult now, aren't you, David? You're fully grown. I am, I am a grown man now. Well, <laughs> but not completely grown, but sort of grown, you know. What's your favourite speech radio moment? Now, I know that's an almost impossible task because there's just, there is so much that's happened, but is there one bit that kind of excites you or makes you laugh or makes you sad? Oh, do you know, at this time of the morning, having just got up, that is such a difficult question. I, I think, you know, uh, I must say this to you, Ian, yeah. I was really part of what I call the radio generation. You yeah. know, I grew up with radio, and um, we didn't have a television, and I was living on a very remote farm, and it brought the world into our farmhouse. And I remember listening to the commentaries of people like Raymond Glendening, you know, terrific 
sports commentators. Mm. And I used to hear places like St. James's Park and Old Trafford and try to imagine what it was like of all the, you know, thousands of people who were gathered in these grounds. It brought wonderful variety and entertainment uh, into our farmhouse. There was a program called In Town Tonight on Saturday night where, you know, we stopped the sound of London's traffic. So uh, <laughs> radio had a magic uh, for me as I grew up, which I've never, ever, I've never lost that. And I think the great thing about radio, I mean, you do it every morning. Yeah is that it's one-to-one. Yes. You know, you're, you're not addressing a crowd of people. Um, it, much more intimate than television. It's yep. the most intimate medium. You are one person in a room on your own. I mean, it sounds really odd. It does sound All a little bit weird when you put it like that. <laughs> listening at home or in, yep. the, in the car or wherever, you know. That is the magic of radio. Um, in answer to your question, uh, there have been so many uh, magical radio moments down the years. Hard, really, uh, to think of the best. What, what would be the best one for you? Well, do you know, it, it kind of fluctuates. It, it is a tough question. I have to say, and this isn't just because I'm working here, m- one of my favourite, favourite hours of radio at the moment is, is Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who does the show after me, uh, when he does his consumer hour, because I think he's, he is warm, uh, he's, he's hilariously funny, he, and he just gets interested. I like, I like radio when it's people phoning up and talking, and you get yeah. to hear real people kind of sharing... Their odd and their bizarre stories. That, for me, is when radio is at its best. I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, that having worked in music radio for so many years, if I listen to the radio now, most of the time, I listen to talk radio. Mm. Um, and I think the, the, the reason is because it's stimulating. Uh, and, <laughs> as you know, if you're, if you're on a radio program and, and you've got people on the phone, you can't be Mr. Nice Guy all the time. No. Uh, and, and sometimes it's those broadcasters who are really rude, who are compulsive listening because you think, what on earth is he going to say next? And sometimes you don't actually like the person very much and you think, what an opinionated so-and-so. But you can't stop listening. Exactly. That's the magic of radio again. I've I've just remembered my favourite bit of radio. It was a a guy called Tommy Boyd, and I think it wasn't BBC, but I can go off on slide. I think he was on LBC. And he was um, pretending that they were going... No, he was on TalkSport. And he was pretending that they were going to bring bullfighting to Birmingham um, and that he was really for it. And just the number of, obviously it was complete nonsense, but the number of phone calls he had, phoning him up, having a go, and saying, you're so obnoxious, you're so arrogant, and it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. and it's it was that, obviously going to happen in the bull ring, well, well, Exactly, but it's that, it's, it's that it, the, the <laughs> phrase they use is the, the theatre of the mind, and it is just, because you're imagining stuff, with TV and film, it's all there for you, you're, you're given everything. With the radio, yeah. it's all in your head. You, you, you kind of make sense of the sounds, and the, you create the pictures yourself, and that, for me, is why I love radio so much, Absolutely, I think. well that's what radio did for me as a boy it created the pictures that brought the world into our remote farmhouse and uh, you know i've i've just had a love affair with radio ever since i mean i just i just love it and i think in this time now where you know the bbc is, has had so much uh, criticism rightly or wrongly over you know current events that have been going on mm. i think it's great today that we have something to celebrate i'm just wondering actually how you can encapsulate everything into sh- such a short amount of time that's going to be fascinating isn't it it's going to it's going to be worth the listen and this is why i was keen to do it because the bbc has had a, a bit of a kicking recently and, and some of it's right and some of it i think is possibly wrong but the, the bbc does do radio brilliantly why why do you think they do do it so well david um, it's I, more I consistent than anywhere else. I don't know the answer to that. I've been working in commercial radio for many years now. And last year I went down to BBC Radio Devon. I did a couple of weeks down there, mm. sitting in for somebody who was away on holiday. And I thought, not just saying this because I'm on the BBC, but I thought, you know, 
When I go back to the BBC, I realise that the BBC do it right. Mm. And they do it with style. Uh, the buildings are, n- are nicer. You have a team. I'm sorry to say no. this, but well, in commercial radio, I did everything myself. I didn't have a producer, you know. But you have a team. You have a production team. You have researchers, producers, the presenter. And uh, I think, you know, the BBC still does it best. David, it's lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on. You in? There we go. David Hamilton, the proper legend of radio. He's, he, he's one of the voices... I grew up with. Wonderful. Well, what a great voice he's still got. Fantastic. That's cheered me up having David Hamilton. And wasn't he nice? Wasn't he nice? I'm still a bit grumpy, though. It's still the Wednesday whinge. 08459 555555. Phone up. Just have a whinge about anything you want. Here's someone who's very grumpy. It's Catherine Boyle. <laughs> Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's just gone seven o'clock. It's Wednesday, the 14th of November. It's Jonathan Vernon Smith's birthday. I know, how exciting is that? I've got some cracking presents. He's out and about later on. We'll explain more about that a bit later on in the show, but you, you might be able to grab him and have a word with him. Coming up in this hour of the show, former Luton South MP Margaret did uh, Margaret Mann did fiddle her expenses. The Taxpayers' Alliance say justice hasn't been done. Should she be forced to pay the money back? Young people apply for 17 jobs before getting an interview. How difficult is it for your son or daughter to get work? And junk mail is set to make up an even greater share of the average postback. Couple of things. When did you last send a letter, a proper letter, where you sat down and you wrote a letter to a friend or a relative? And also, if your post has come or is coming, could you count how much junk there is in your mail? Let's see if we can find the person in beds, hearts and bucks with the most junk mail. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the Taxpayers' Alliance say they feel like justice hasn't been done after former Luton South MP Margaret Moran was found to have fiddled her expenses to the tune of a whopping £53,000. According to the House of Commons in 2009, she repaid £6,000 in relation to claims on her second home in Southampton and 65 quid for office cleaning. Well, following the ruling yesterday, the Crown Prosecution Service say they will look to see if any action might be taken in the recovery of funds. She can't be sent to jail like other MPs who've been convicted of fraudulently claiming expenses as she wasn't mentally fit enough to stand trial. Earlier on, I spoke to Jonathan Isabeet from the Taxpayers' Alliance. Forging documents in order to claim money from taxpayers. Um, it, it, it's an utter, utter abuse. And, it, and it's, it's actually, I think, in terms of the, the amount of money, it's the worst abuse uh, of any of the cases that came up uh, as a result of that MP's expenses scandal. I'm, I'm very sorry that she's not very well and that she was not able to stand trial. Uh, you know, obviously the judge made the decision that she, she was not uh, physically able to stand trial. It just creates such a massive sense of frustration for mm. taxpayers, particularly those people in Luton who were her constituents, uh, who feel that she has absolutely let them down uh, and you know, taken advantage and, and abused the system. Well, Alex Radley is a criminal lawyer with Luton-based Noble Solicitors. He's dealt with clients who've been deemed unfit to plead. He joins me now. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Ian. Uh, how unusual is it for someone to be considered unfit to plead? 
uh, it's actually very unusual mm. uh, for someone to find themselves in that position. And before someone is found uh, unfit to plead, there has to be two reports prepared by psychiatrists who are registered under the Mental Health Act uh, to provide that advice. So it's quite difficult. And how detailed are those reports? They go and see her a couple of times? Or how does it work? Yes, they would go to see the uh, doctor a couple of times. Uh, there's a, an extensive report, uh, bearing in mind all the time that the psychiatrists have an overriding duty to the court when presenting a report to it. Some people have suggested that this is an easy way out for someone accused of serious offences. What's your view on that? Uh, if it is, it's an extreme step to take uh, to find yourself in that position. Uh, it's In my experience, I've had some people uh, I've represented who have been, I consider to, as a layperson, to be extremely ill mm. and uh, have never been found uh, to be in a position where they're unfit to plead. So it's quite unusual. Maybe you can't answer this, but do you, do you know what criteria the, 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 the medical staff are looking for? Is it self-harming being suicidal what what kind of things are they are they keeping an eye out for uh, particularly in terms of the fitness to plead argument it's whether the uh, person who is accused is in a position where they can instruct their counsel uh, in relation to the case and whether they would be in a position where they could question people um, about any issues arising in the evidence the judge in this case has adjourned it uh, uh, after the jury's verdict while he decides what action to take. What options are there for how he can deal with this and, and this situation? With well, there, there are three main options, really. Yeah. Um, the first is, I think, uh, something that uh, Mr Sturman QC asked for before the case was adjourned, which was a, a discharge, uh, which means that the court have come to a finding, but... Um, there is no punishment that's necessary in, this, in the case. And is that a possibility? Because there will be people out there, particularly from her constituency, who will be furious at that. Um, it's not a possibility, because uh, Lord Justice has said, no, that's not going to happen. OK, that's been ruled out. Um, so okay. it seems to have been ruled out. Um, the next step would really be to have some sort of supervision within the community. And supervision is normally accompanied by... Uh, some sort of medical treatment as well. Mm. Um, the so, so what does the supervision mean exactly, sorry? Uh, do, do, do speak, do speak to me as though I'm an idiot, because I kind of am on this. <laughs> I am at this time in the morning Right, as yeah, well. tell me about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, as far as the supervision is concerned, it's uh, a person uh, supervised, uh, the person who's been in trouble, uh, from the probation service, uh, and they guide them and make sure the appropriate treatment is being taken on board mm. um, and liaise with the doctors who are providing providing the treatment and then also liaise between the court and the doctors to confirm that that supervision is continuing as it should be and has been set by the judge. And uh, if she's given a hospital order or a supervision order, is there a time scale put in that? They say it's going to be six months, it's going to be six years or does it, is it just until she's well? No, that would be restricted by time right? Um, as far as supervision is concerned. Um, you know, uh, recently I had a case where it, uh, the person was fit to plead but one of the options on sentence was for, for supervision and treatment uh, because the young woman had ADHD and some other learning difficulties mm. and so it was treated quite uh, well by supervision and uh, by treatment. Um, the final step, um, which is the most uh, draconian step of the three, is a, um, a mental health order uh, where someone could be taken into uh, a mental health unit and detained wow. there um, until they are well to be released. Because mm. there are, there, I, I guess, and I've seen this on Twitter and I've spoken to friends and, and, and who you have been in prison and a lot of them are going, 
It's not fair. And it, it, it doesn't seem fair from the outside, does it, that, that someone who, who has been involved in and has been found guilty of, of defrauding um, taxpayers could seemingly get off scot-free. Mm. Um, well, they haven't been found guilty in the traditional sense of things. Right. I think so there's a difference, is there? Yes, right. okay. there is. Um, because in simple terms, when someone commits a crime, generally there is the act of committing the crime, the mm. physical act of committing the crime, and there is the mental element of the crime as well. Uh, in these circumstances, the physical act of committing the crime has been found to be proved against uh, Miss Moran, um, in terms of the mental element of the crime, uh, that was not proved against her, and so therefore there has not been a finding of a criminal allegation against her. So there is so a finding. It is very complicated. There is a finding that she commit the act, yep. uh, but that she was unfit to plead, so therefore uh, didn't go through to the full criminal trial. If her options, uh, if her condition improves, are there options for the case to be recalled for her to face punishment? Then no. Well, wow. um, in terms of uh, the, the case, it's at an end after the sentence uh, takes place. And the £53,000, what happens, what happens to that? Well, in the normal circumstances, um, now the prosecuting authorities are very active with rego- regard to the proceeds of crime uh, legislation. And after the conclusion of a serious criminal trial at the Crown Court, a timetable is set for the recovery of the money uh, that was the ill-gotten gains mm. through the Proceeds of Crime Act. Any so idea how much a, a case like this would cost to bring to court? Um, well, in terms of normal uh, char- uh, costs that the prosecution would ask for, um, I don't know exactly in this case, mm. but perhaps in a case of uh, normal length and uh, in terms of the same time as this one, uh, maybe... Um, two, three thousand pound in costs. Because there, there are some people who are saying, listen, we, we, we knew from the start that she wasn't going to go to prison or, you know, because of her, her being unfit. Uh, what was the point of doing it? Well, they have to go through the process of finding unfitness, uh, and that's why they went to that stage. Mm. Okay, listen, uh, thank you so much, Jonathan Isby, from the Taxpayers... Uh, th- th- sorry, I do apologise. Alex Radley. <laughs> sorry, that's the earlier guest. Uh, Alex Radley, criminal lawyer with Luton-based Noble Slitters. Thank you very much for coming in. My pleasure. Ridiculous time in the morning, I know. But th- when was the last time you wrote a letter, just going off on a tangent? Uh, not a business letter asking for uh, for money. Do, do you write letters? Uh, I thought about that when we were downstairs, actually. Uh, I think in my family, the only one that's writing letters is my son, who's out of the country at the moment, to his nan, because uh, hey, she go. hasn't got the internet. How old's your son? Uh, 23. Good well, there you go, you see. Good lad, writing letters to Nan. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Alex. There we go. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Uh, if you want to give us a call about that, do let us know your views. Call 0845 455 555. 0845 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. There we are. We're going all over the place like a, like a mad lady in a shop. Um, Shirley from Milton Keynes. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Ian. When was the last time you wrote a letter? Uh, about three weeks ago. Mm, okay, who was it to? It was to my local MP's office. Oh, here we go. This is, a, this is a proper letter. What was it about, if you don't mind me asking? Well, it's about the way that Ian Duncan Smith wants to be paying our pensions and things. Um, he wants to do it monthly or something, I believe. Yeah. Um, which will be no good to me 
because it'll upset all my direct debits. Shirley, this is great. So not only was it, did you write a letter to your MP, it was a whinging letter. It was a whinging Good letter. Good for you! That was a whinging letter, yes. Good! It'll, it'll cause me so many problems to have my pension paid monthly. And did you hear back from your MP? I did, within a couple of days oh. I had a reply. And what did your MP say? Um, well, he said that uh, a letter Tough. has been sent... No, <laughs> no, he didn't. It was very good, actually. Yeah. I've written several letters to him, actually. Oh. But he said that a letter had been forwarded on to Ian Duncan Smith about my concerns. Good for you. But it could probably take about three months before oh, I get a reply from that one. Well, Shirley, <laughs> let us know what they say. And very quickly, do you get yes. a lot of junk mail? Yes, I do. Well, and, and, what do you do with it? Do you ever look at it? It goes in the bin. It goes in the bin. You wonder... <laughs> in what... the recycling bin, because I, like the lady earlier on, I also have arthritis and oh, spine. <laughs> Roy- Royal Mail are really bullying yes. pensioners with arthritis. Shame on them. Yeah. Uh, Shirley, thank you very much for that. You do wonder, don't you, how useful this junk mail is? Because it all just goes in the bin, doesn't it? Shirley, they're talking about how she uh, wrote to her MP. Well, if you're, you live in mid-beds, your MP is uh, in the middle of a jungle. What are you going to do? Call Ghostbusters? No, I don't think so. But you can go and meet Jonathan Vernon Smith today. He's going to be on the High Street in Shefford from nine o'clock, just by the War Memorial. Uh, And he wants to know anything that you would normally take to your MP, take it to Jonathan Vernon Smith. Send an email now, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Let them know what you want to have a, a, a moan about. And then you can go and meet him this morning and tell him on air. He'll try and sort it out for you. 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Lots of things on the go. We're having a, a, a Wednesday whinge. If you want to have a moan about anything, and it can be that you've just woken up and you've made some toast and you open the fridge, there's no, there's no butter in there. Or it can be about the state of the country. 08459 455 555. I just woke up in a really grumpy mood and I came in and there were some grumpy emails. And then this Moran story and then it turns out that the Hearts County Council won't come on and talk about the, the fire that's taking place. It's just got to be grumpy. We can't get hold of the company who owned the land where the fire... It's got to be grumpy. So if you want to have a whinge, come and have a whinge and let, let's embrace and, and be miserable together, shall we? Here's another story that got me a bit grumpy. If your son or daughter is struggling to get an interview, let alone a job, then they are far from alone. According to a study out today, most of them applying are applying for 17 positions before even being offered an interview. Employment statistics show that many job seekers blame the schooling system while half admit they could do more personally to get a job. William Lacey is from Harpenden. He graduated in June with a degree in politics and since then he's applied for 50 jobs. He joins me now. Good morning, William. Oh, yeah. Why do you think you've been unsuccessful in finding work? I think that the applications I was sending out at first weren't really any good. The what, so it was, it was your fault to start with? Um, well, I certainly think that if there were a hell of a lot more jobs out there, it wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been so choosy and uh, sort of they wouldn't have had such high standards of applications. What do you think? We would have had a better time. What do you think you were doing wrong, William, then, in the early applications? Um, well, they're all little, they're all kinds of little tricks you have to get right. I mean, um, with the cover letter, for example, I was writing very long ones. I was trying to be, get across how enthusiastic I was. Yeah. But actually, they have to be really quite, really quite brief. They just have to be quite short to the point and quite sort of uh, frank and just very simply sum up what you're doing on your CV. It is very tempting, isn't it, to be very verbose and, 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 and look intelligent and stuff like that. And you're right, they probably just want a quick, short, sharp, this is what I am, this is what I can give you, when can we meet, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, there's all kinds of little things I was doing wrong, and which I think a lot of people do wrong. And where did you, how did you learn you were doing these things wrong? Did someone just kind of take you to one side? Did you go to an agency, or was it just through you learning yourself? Um, I'll tell, I'll tell the, the latter, yeah, just learning myself. I mean, it's, I've, I've been lucky. I'm, I'm in quite a stable circumstances here, so I am able to spend time applying for jobs. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about other things mm. too much. So I, I've been able to learn it myself. It must be frustrating, and I, I would imagine a little bit depressing, though, if you keep sending out letters and you don't even get an interview. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> funny enough, it's not. Because oh, really? <laughs> I, I say, yeah, but it's not. And that's because I'm not, I'm not used to that kind of way of being. I think in the past, you know, you sent out a letter, then you got an interview, and that was where you really, that's where the real, you know, test began. Mm. For me, it doesn't even start there. The real test begins with the application form. And then it's the online test. Mm. And then it's maybe at a, an assessment centre or a telephone interview. And then it's an actual interview. Hang on a minute. You have to do a telephone interview before you go and meet someone face-to-face? Um, some, yeah. I'm so oh, out yeah, of touch with the one. real world. I, I so live in a Ponzi media bubble. <laughs> that's, so, so what? Someone phones you up and you chat to them for 20 minutes or something? Uh, yeah, something like that. That's, that's what I've got planned later on. Yeah, they're going to call me up and, um, and we're going to have a little interview. Well, I was going to say, because you were, William, I was... I was Curious to find out you weren't coming into the studio today because you were booked to come in. But then it turns out that you have got the, a, an interview today, yeah, which is fantastic. Right. So, and it's a phone interview, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite soon, so I. Uh, oh, but <laughs> I, 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 I had my eyes at five forty-five, and I thought, good grief, I can't justify this. What 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 ti- what time is, is is the phone interview? Um, it's at about it's about eight uh, fifty-five. Oh, okay. So, g- g- hey, listen, can we give you a call tomorrow and find out how it went? Sure. I'll be, be keen to know. And is there anything you can do to prepare yourself for these phone interviews? Well, you've got to make sure your answers are right. But, um, but you've got to make sure that you've, um, I mean, you're also limited by technology. So you've yeah. got to make sure that your telephone's good and that you can actually have a decent conversation on it. But luckily this exercise is actually fulfilling that purpose. Isn't, well, yeah, we're, hey, we're helping you. I want 15% I know, yeah, yeah. whatever you get. The, the, the thing I find is I am much better face-to-face. I'm terrible on the phone. I get really anxious on the phone. So I yeah. would I would fall at that hurdle, I think. I'm good at writing... When I was getting proper jobs years ago, I was very good at filling in application forms. Um, I remember I got a job in HMV because the, the manager said, this is the best application form I've ever seen in my life. I think it was because I could write properly and, and, and string a <laughs> sentence together. You know, it was only HMV. But on the phone, I, I, I would fall... Did you get any training at school or university in, in preparing you for, for job hunting? Um, well... You, obviously, you learn how to write, and you know how to research, and things like that. And those are the most important skills. Everything else is just sort of a little bit of practice. Mm. You, you're never ever trained. At university, they do give you talks, and they say, "Oh, this is a good, this is a good thing for employability." You know, this, this is, you know, this is something you might like to put in your CV. But, um, but uh, no, no specific training. I think you, you, it's a bit of a conversion exercise. You have to take what you learned at school, and then you have to go for a kind of painful few months. Where mm. you, put it to use in a different way. William, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would like to work for the government. <laughs> there we go. Fantastic. Well, listen, William, I wish you the best of luck with the phone call today. Thanks for We'll give you a little call tomorrow, if that's all right, and see how you got on. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Excellent stuff. There you go. Well, there you go. That's exciting. He was due to come in. He can't come in. He's got an interview. That's a good enough reason. I think we can allow that one to slide by. William Lacey from Harmondon. Well, we'll find out tomorrow. Five to nine is... His phone call is, so let's, let's send him, just send him good energy, shall we? Does that work? No, of course it doesn't, but we, we can wish him our very, very best indeed. 08459 455 555. Letters. Junk mail. There's going to be more junk mail. Because the, the, the Royal Mail, 
They make money from this junk mail. Of course they do. It hadn't even occurred to me. The poor postman carrying around that big sack of junk. You know, they, they get, the, the Royal Mail getting a lot of money. I wait four five nine four double five five double five. Doris is in Hemel. Good morning, Doris. Hello. <laughs> do you get a Do you get a lot of junk? Yes, I do, and I like it. Sorry, you like the junk? <laughs> I, I, Are you bonkers? No, no, no. I use every part of it. And it what for? Uh, well, you know, sometimes there's a free letter envelope in to write back. Yeah. I use that to write to friends. Oh. I put a label over their address. Well, that's that's a good idea. Well done. Recycling. Uh, and also the blank side of the letter I use for shopping lists. <laughs> There's not much left when I'm finished with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're... Listen, you are... Re- this is what I'm everyone's... bonkers, aren't I? Well, no, you, you are bonkers, Doris. Yes, I'll give you that. But... Oh. <laughs> no, but you're also... You're doing what we're all encouraged to be doing. You're recycling. I know, You're I saving know. the planet. So thank you for that. I know. So it does, does, does none of it go in the bin? Uh, well, just uh, anything I can't use if it's wrote, wrote on both sides and all that, you know? When was the last time you ordered a pizza? Oh, I don't do anything oh, like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I prefer a, a letter to a phone call, and everyone I write to more, more or less phones me up. And do you know what? You'll never believe this. Go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. Go on. Uh, go on. And when people ask me, oh, what would I like for Christmas, guess what I say? Writing paper, envelopes, pens, stamps, and I'll get it. So, uh, well, you, this brings us on to the thing, I'm guessing then, that you write letters quite a lot. Oh, I do, I do, I do. When was the last time that you wrote, you wrote, you wrote? Uh, yesterday, every day I'm writing. Even, and a lot of them rather phone me up and I say, oh, please write to me. <laughs> and, and I'll agree with you, Doris, there is something very, very nice about getting a letter. There is. There is something very special about getting it, because you could, a phone call, you have it and it's gone. A letter, you can read it in the morning, you That's can go right. back in the afternoon with a cup of tea, and then you, if, right. it's a ni- if it's a sexy one, you can read it in bed. Oh, no. You can, can't you? <laughs> I don't you? get them. You don't get those anymore? Oh, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> so who did, you, who did you write to yesterday? Uh, I've got a pen friend in Lancashire. We met on holiday and we've been writing, and she's the same as me, writes to everyone. Well, there you go. Pe- I, I'm, I, you've, you've said a, a phrase there I've not heard in years, a pen friend. I didn't know they still happened. I had oh, a pen yeah. friend in New Zealand when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Mm. There are some that do have a pen friend. Oh, I'm going to stutter now. No, don't stutter. Doris, <laughs> yes, would well. you like me to send you a sexy letter? <laughs> I'm a bit old for that sort of thing. Never too old for that sort of thing, Doris. <laughs> Never too old. Many a good tune played on an old city. <laughs> 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 oh, dear, you'll get me to say things. No, you'll get me. You'll lose me my job. To me. Doris, listen, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you for calling in. Okay, Pat. There we go. <laughs> oh, wasn't she bonkers, but wonderful. Favourite call of the day. We've had some good calls as well, so to, to call that as a favourite is, is a tough one. Wasn't she fantastic? Thank you, Doris. <laughs> she's made me laugh um, uh, Linda in Milton Keynes on the text 81333 starting your text three, many a good tune played on an old fiddle Ian I sent a letter to my friend in New Zealand handwritten last week I find it more personal love your show thank you Linda Jen of Houghton Regis the art of letter writing is not dead I write at least three letters a week by hand on lovely notepaper a curse on all emails Chris in Amersham says, it's possible that the majority of letters are written and received from prisons. It could be, I suppose. I do like, I do like receiving letters. It doesn't happen very often. But handwriting a letter. If I sit down and try and handwrite a letter, and I did this a while ago, I get about four or five sentences and I get the cramp. I get the cramp in my hand. I'm having terrible trouble with my thumb at the moment as well, for some reason. You know I said my big toe is hurting. My thumb's hurting as well on my right hand. So the thought of me holding a pen and writing, I don't know if I could do it. 
Well, Doris has opened up a whole can of worms. Pen, pen friends? Pen pals? Have you got one? Do you still have one? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. I genuinely thought we wouldn't get any calls from people who've written letters. We've had quite a few. Quite a few. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. MP, uh, coming up in the next half an hour, MK Don's boss Carl Robinson has said a meeting between his side and AFC Wimbledon in the FA Cup will evoke bad memories for some supporters, but insists the game was an inevitability. I'll speak to fans from both sides to see how they're feeling about it. As, and being a, a football idiot, I need someone to. Ex- I need one of these gentlemen to explain this situation. I've got, kind of got a rough idea of what the situation is. I, I need someone to just clarify it for me, and, and um, we'll get that later on. Also, mid beds MP Nadine Doris had to chomp on a camel's toe. In I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here last night. Has she suffered enough? We'll get the verdict from our political reporter, Paul Scoynes. Looks like a sad bear. We're having a, a whinging... He does, he does. And he even he admits it. He said it was the most accurate description he'd ever heard of himself and then posted loads of pictures of sad bears on his Twitter. Now, we're having a whinging Wednesday. I, I woke up, I was grumpy. I don't know why. I just woke up grumpy. I do sometimes. And I came in and there were grumpy emails and I was grumpy about some of the stories and I just thought we'd have a, a, a whinging Wednesday. You can call in about anything and have a moan. Anything you want. It can be the fact you've got no sugar to put in your coffee to, you know, the problems going on in America. Anything you want. 08459 455 555. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. Karen is in Hemel. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. You want to have Hi. a whinge, do you? Oh, I do. Go on then, about- away you go. About a particular bus that goes from Hemel to St Albans. Oh, and what's happened? Um, on Monday, you know, because of this fire going on. Yep. Um, went to get a bus um, Monday morning, and um, obviously I didn't realise that the fire, you know, that the roads were blocked, and the bus took a particular, a different route than it normally does. Yep. It goes to St Albans, it went Redbourne way. Then I realised what was happening, that there was something going on. I got a return ticket. So I got off at Colney Heath Lane and went to work and then got back on at the bus stop to get back on the bus on, on my way up back to Hemel. And the bus driver said, I'm not going back to Hemel, Hempstead. Sorry? I was like, pardon? He said, I'm not going to Hemel, Hempstead. You get off to get off in town, he- St Albans Town Centre. I'm like, I think you pardon, him, but how can I return my journey? And he said, well, there, apparently, apparently there's a, a shuttle bus. Um, but you have to wait. I don't know how long you have to wait. Maybe an hour. Oh, well, that's well, helpful, isn't it? Cut a long story short, waited an hour and ten minutes. No shuttle bus was going to Hemel but every bus that came along said they were um, terminating at King Harry Lane. And I had to get a taxi with five other people that were going to Hemel, actually, there were more than that at the bus stop moaning, to get, to get home that evening. Yesterday, my daughter went to get the very same bus, went to the bus stop an hour early, just in case there was a shuttle bus, which never turned up. Yep. Um, she, got, she paid £15 to get into St Albans. Um, to get to work, and um, her colleague rang the bus company and they said that the shuttle bus was optional. What? Optional. It would say that what they could, what, optional, my, optional to them whether they put it on or not. Yes, is my fare optional then? How is that I mean, possible? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, I have seen the shuttle bus mm. and obviously it goes the Redbourne way because the roads are blocked. Yeah. Why can't it just make that journey anyway? Oh, Karen, you've got you're getting me. I was oh, I was calming down saying. now. You got me all grumpy and angry again. Oh, yeah. I tell you what's got me grumpy is the council won't come on and talk about this yeah, blooming fire. Well, no, and we can't get hold of the company either that owns no. the land. Well, typical, yeah. Oh, Karen, do you feel better for letting it out, though? Oh, yes, thank you very much. How, how are you getting to work today? Oh, I'm driving. Mm. I have to drive today. So. And how, how long is it going to take you? It's probably about 15 minutes extra. Okay. Well, you, I'm, yeah, listen, I'm glad, that we've, I'm glad that we've helped. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. But I'm, oh, I'm grumpy about option, optional shuttle buses replacing the service. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. Have a good day. 
Thank you. There Bye. we go. You see, it's therapeutic. It's therapeutic to let it out. Optional shuttle buses? Are you joking? Oh, wait, 459 455 555. Give us a call. Have a whinge about anything you want. She was good. She was a good whinger. We like to have a whinge. It's in our nature to do this as, as British. We're, we're good at whinging, and that's what we do, and we enjoy it. Kind of get a perverse pleasure. There's nothing better than moaning about something. That's a proper genuine moan she had there. Oh, wait, 459. 455. 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Now, Nick Coffer, today, he's going to speak to one of the men who make your morning cup of tea all the better. Between 12 and, uh, and 3, he's going to be speaking to a milkman. Do you still get milkman? Apparently you do. Nick's going to be speaking to one a bit later on. And uh, also, did you know there's an England football team made up solely of England fans? I didn't know. I didn't know it. It turns out there is. One of the players is Rob Russell from Ampthill. He'll be telling Nick all about how the team works and what they do. Nick Coffer between 12 and 3 today. Now, Milton Keynes football. Football. Milton Keynes Dons will host AFC Wimbledon in the FA Cup second round after Milton Keynes beat Cambridge City in last night's replay. It'll be the first meeting between the two clubs since the old Wimbledon controversially moved to Milton Keynes in 2003. Well, let's, let's, unless let's try and keep this civil, gentlemen. We've got Simon Wheeler from uh, the AFC Wimbledon Independent Supporters Association. Good morning, Simon. Very good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you, and okay, you? I'm good, thank you. And we've also got John Brockwell, who is uh, from... He chairs the MK Dons Supporters Association. Good morning, John. Good morning. Can we keep this civil, gentlemen, please? Oh, of course we can. Okay. So, I, I'm, I'm Simon, th- Simon and I know each other well. Okay, no problems. Okay, so I'm uh, just detecting a little bit of tension. I don't want any tension at all. <laughs> now, Simon, listen very quickly, because I'm not a football fan. In 30 seconds, can you explain the history and why this match is, is, is such a big issue? Well, obviously, in uh, 2002, our football club was given permission to relocate to Milton Keynes by a very bizarre arbitration panel, despite... Uh, Wimbledon fans avidly opposing it. There was a very uh, infamous season where we uh, protested for the full year. Um, Milton Keynes obtained his football club by stealing Wimbledon Football Club's league race. Football supporters didn't like it, and therefore we decided to, uh, well, the only option for us and for our community was to uh, set up AFC Wimbledon, where we started in the uh, ninth tier of English football in the combined counties league. John, is this game going to st- stir up any controversy? Is, is, surely this is something that Milton Keynes could do without, isn't it? No, to be honest, in some sense, it's good to get the match out of the way. The press have been um, talking about the match for years and years and years now. It seems forever. And it would be nice just to get it out of the way, just for once and for all, so everyone's just back into a normal place. Is there going to be any tension, John? Well, there's bound to be uh, an atmosphere, I would think is the best way to call it, um, because obviously there has been a lot, you, you heard Simon use the word stealing, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of emotive words that have come to Milton Keynes from the Wimbledon side of things, and obviously, yeah, that, that winds fans up, that's not the best language in the world to use, and the same thing as Simon said, you know, the supporters down there of AFC Wimbledon, obviously think uh, that uh, there is a problem with Milton Keynes existing. What, what, he did use the word stealing, John. Do you, do, do you dispute that, then? Uh, if there is a theft, there would be a court case and someone would go to prison. So, you know, the, is this a theft? No, Simon, it was allowed. By... Simon, you're being emotive and you're using dangerous language. 
Simon? Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, well, no, we're, we're, no we're, not, we're not being emotive at all. Um, um, you know, our football club was taken without our blessing. We didn't have a say in whether our football club was taken away from us. We protested about it. Uh, that's very high profile and probably the most high profile pro- football protest over a year that this country had ever seen. Us and the FSF up to 2007 were boycotting games involved in... Uh, you know, Milton Keynes. So I think it's very unfair that one of the profiteers of football franchising, John, is stating that we've been very emotive about it. We've made it very quite clear that we don't want to play this game. We've never wanted to play this game. That what they did is they, they, they took a league place, the first case of franchising the country, something that football supporters up and down the land are against. It's happened. Milton Keynes as a place lacked the ambition to form their own football club in the lower echelons of non-league football and move it up into the football league, just like AFC Wimbledon have proved is possible. So no, I, I don't. I don't think it's fair to say that you know it, we're using emotive language. I mean, we're using language which we fear 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 is fact. John. Well, from our point of view, obviously, we all got together, signed an accord in 2007 to draw a line under this. You know, if Simon continues and wants to carry on those lines, so be it. But, Simon, you know, the we- idea. Simon, can't we just have a good old kick around at the week uh, uh, on the football pitch and everyone has a good game and shakes hands and walks away afterwards? Can't we do that, Simon? Well, and in terms of the football club, AFC Women will be professional. We're going to play the football club. We'll send the players up. They'll kick the ball around. Then they'll shake everyone's hands or, you know, shake the other players' hands, get on the bus and come back to Wimbledon. What we've been saying now, though, is actually we've been saying it's time to move on. They have an emotive name in their name. They call themselves Milton Keynes Dons. If you look at a lot which is coming out of the local press, they seem to refer consistently to the name Dons and fail to mention the name Milton Keynes. The frenzy that Pete Winkleman has promised hasn't materialised. And what we've said is, why don't they drop the name Dons? Because it's got no connection at all to Milton Keynes. And why don't they have a name that makes them look like, feel like, a community football club based in Milton Keynes now? Uh, John, uh, Simon, sorry, very quickly, because your line's breaking up a little bit. Are are some of your fans going to boycott this match? There'll be a lot of fans that won't go. Okay. There's not not going to be any argy-bargy, will there? There won't be an official boycott, and, and you know, I very much doubt there'll be an Argy Bargy. Wimbledon fans Good. protested for over a year in the most, as I mentioned, the most high-profile way, in an extremely sort of uh, safe, organised manner, without any okay. trouble whatsoever. Very quickly, so, Simon, uh, from AFC Wimbledon Independent Support Association, who's going to win? Uh, it, to be honest, the game doesn't matter, because wow. it's, I, I feel... Uh, AFC Wimbledon as a football club. We've already won. We've shown the football world it's possible to start again. Ninth division of football. So you're going to lose? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I'm not saying we're going to lose. I'm saying, you know, it doesn't matter to us because we don't want the game to happen. We're not looking forward to the game. We're not excited about the game. This isn't a football rivalry. This isn't a game that, that, you know, that you you dream coming out in the same time. John, who's going to win? I think any football supporter would wish that their own team would win. I can understand where Simon's coming from, but, uh, yeah, uh, from our point of view, we obviously want to win. OK, listen, that was more exciting than I was expecting it to be. Thank you very much, chaps. Last voice you heard there was John Breckwell. John Brockwell, sorry, chairs the MK Don Supporters Association. Before that, Simon Wheeler from the AFC Wimbledon Independent Supporters Association. Well, we sent our reporter, Gareth Lloyd, out to Milton Keynes to see how fans are feeling. Right, so it's BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Gareth Lloyd on 
day one of reporting for the legend that is Ian Lee. And uh, I've been sent to the Milton Keynes train station, the central train station, to find MK Don's fans, MK Don supporters, and ask them how excited they are, how well last night went, and how they're looking forward to the uh, the match against AFC Wimbledon. Right, let's see how I get on. Are you a MK Don's fan at all, either of you? Uh, no, I'm no, not. No, 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 no neither no. of you. Don't worry, thanks a lot. Are you a MK Don's fan at all? No, no, no props. <laughs> Are you a MK Don's fan at all? Um, I've been to the stadium, but I'm not a fan. No, nope. well, I don't support him. I don't even watch football. Uh, not really, no. No, no, sorry. no. I'm sorry, I'm really not into football. I'm not, I'm afraid. No props, sorry. don't worry. No, not no, at all. no, 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 no problem. Nope. Haven't got a clue. Right, so it's uh, not looking too good here. Still lots of people coming in. It's a busy train station. Plenty more people to ask. Got to find a fan somewhere. Are you an MK Dons fan? No. <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm not in no. no, no. No. Morning. Are you an MK Dons fan at all? No, I am. Wondrous. Sorry. Oh, Come on, the blues. <laughs> right, so... Uh... No fans at all at the moment, but someone getting on a train this morning must be a fan of the MK Dons. I'm trying to find MK Dons fans this morning. I don't suppose you're a... No, not me, mate. Thanks sorry. very much. No? No, I'm you're not. not. Sorry. I don't suppose... No. No. no, Chelsea fan, mate. I'm not a fan of football at all. No problem. Are <laughs> no, you an MK Dons fan? I'm not. You're not. What about you, sir? Are you an MK Dons fan? No. You're not. Right, not a single fan here at the train station. That's Gareth Lloyd giving up, signing off. It's BBC Three Counties Radio, Ian Lee, and... Uh, Loving your work, Ian. Yeah, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. Uh, hope you enjoyed what I've uh, been able to get for you this morning. Has he been drinking? I don't think. I don't think Gareth's tried hard enough. I don't think Gareth. What, what did he ask there? What, 45, 50 people? I don't think he, he tried hard enough in the slightest. Can we find some NK Don's fans? I don't know if it's all to be one sided. And considering I know nothing about football, I did enjoy that little bit of banter there. Can we find some NK Don's fans this morning, please? 08459 455 555. Thank you, Gareth. A brighter triangle, cloud being nibbled. We've just had some psychedelic weather. Firefighters have been working around the clock since the weekend, trying to extinguish the massive blaze at the Wood Recycling Centre in St Albans. But how was this allowed to happen? Well, Hearts County Council refused to speak to us about the impact the fire is having on their residents. That's right, your, your council won't come on and talk to you about how this happened and what they're doing to sort it out. I know, I can't believe it. They won't comment on claims they were warned in advance either about the way the company operated. If you want to let them know that you want to hear from them, then do. We're going to keep trying to get them on, even though they're saying no. Well, let's see if Victoria Owen from the Environment Agency can shed some light. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning. This fire has caused havoc. Do we know how it started yet? No, unfortunately we don't. That's something the fire service will have to investigate. What's your involvement with the Wood Recycling Centre? Uh, we regulate the, uh, the site. The Environment Agency regulate the site. They have two permits there uh, that are issued by us, and we we regulate them. We go down there and inspect on a regular basis. There have been claims that from residents that the, the company have um, broken the terms of those permits. Is that true? That's correct. In, in, how did they do that? In what ways? They don't, haven't complied with the conditions that are set within those permits. What were um, the conditions and what, how did they break them? Well, there's, there's quite a few um, and I, I won't go into all of them, all of them now. Um, Give us a couple. What, what they have is they have volume restrictions and they actually um, went over these volume restrictions earlier on in the year. Um, unfortunately, I can't tell you by how much or how much um, of 
waste was actually on site due to the fact that this is an investigation and there is enforcement action and I don't wish to prejudice any sort of enforcement action that we that we are or may take um, but a, sus a suspension notice was served because the enforcement notice that we served in July wasn't complied with so we suspended them in September, at the end of September, from them taking in any more waste onto site so that they can just remove waste from site. So you knew, what, in, in July that, that it, was op it was breaking the rules and it was operating dangerously? That's correct. And we tried to bring them back into compliance by serving this enforcement notice. They didn't come into compliance, so we have now suspended their permit. So, it all seems a little bit too, too little too late, doesn't it? Because there's a massive fire going on that's going to take months to put out. Well, um, we've actually, to us, we've, uh, the Environment Agency have received only 13 complaints since last January. So January 2011, we've received right. 13 complaints. We do have an incident number that people can call 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. To report what? Uh, they can report anything um, that they aren't happy with, with regards but that's to... But that's not up to members of the public. That's up to you, isn't it? Well, we can't be everywhere all the time. So the public are our eyes and ears. But and the they... public don't know necessarily exactly what's going in there and what's a breach of the permit or not, do they? It's not fair if... to put the responsibility on the public. Oh, it's, it's not a responsibility. It's anything that they are unsure about, anything they're unhappy with. With these kind of sites... They can phone us on our number, which I'm okay. happy to give you now. But you had, you, th you had 13 complaints. Did you act on those? Yes, we do. We take everyone seriously. We did, you go and look at, did you go and look at the site once you received those complaints? We might not go out immediately on those complaints, but we certainly uh, visit this site on a very regular basis. So you, what you're saying is you had 13 complaints and you didn't do anything apart from file them? No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Well, what, what did you do with those complaints? We will, we will investigate each one on its individual basis. But you didn't go these, to the site? These 13 complaints that we've had have mainly been about dust. Okay, but you didn't go to the site? Yes, no, we, we regularly visit the site. You didn't go site. to the site on the basis of those complaints? We, will have, we may have done on some. Did and you? Um, not me personally. Well, did someone from the, the Environment Agency, did, did someone from the Environment Agency, when they received those complaints, go and look at the site? I can't say that they went on, you know, within... It's a no. That's no it's not a no. We were Is it a yes? <laughs> Is it it's a no or a yes? Did some, when you received any of those 13 complaints, did someone from the Environment Agency get a complaint and go, right, I'm going to go and have a look at this site with my own eyes? I would imagine they did, yes. You would imagine they did. Okay. Uh, they breached their licence in 2001, didn't they, when a fire broke out there before? That's correct. How closely, monitoring were, closely were you monitoring them after that? Well, it was a different permit holder back then, right. uh, it was a different company, um, but we have closely monitored this site um, over a very long period of time. It would appear not that closely, though, that this fire is taking place. There are people in the area who haven't got water, who've got kids and have to go and have a shower with their neighbours half a mile up the road. Roads are blocked. Tra there's travel chaos. All it's going to take is for one gust of wind for the M1 to be closed down because of the smoke. Does seem a little bit of a of a fast, doesn't it? I can't say that it's a fast. I mean, we've we've certainly been out to the site very regularly. Um, whenever we get complaints of if there is fire there, when the fire service ring us and tell us that they've um, they've had a report of a fire, we will attend the site. We ensure that the site are putting the fire out. So the environment agency do take their responsibilities very seriously. But yet, just, just finally, when people send in complaints to you, 
you don't necessarily go and look at the site to respond to those complaints. We do, we do. So you definitely did. When you got those 13 complaints, with each complaint, you went and looked at the site. We, we also re- are relying on third parties to um, But to you, give this us is this where the problem is. You shouldn't be. You should be going and having a look, shouldn't you? No, we do, we do go out and visit the site. How many times have you been to look this year? This year we've probably been, I, I couldn't say exactly how many times we've been, but I know that we go at least once a month to this site, if not more. Okay, and yet this fire has still happened. It's, as we say, we can't say how it started, so, and, and this is something for the fire service to investigate. Okay, so. but, I, but no, I wasn't asking how it started, I'm just saying that even though you, you go once a month, maybe more, this fire has still somehow happened, so it would imply that there are flaws in your system, wouldn't it? Well, we have served an enforcement notice to Brit to make the site bring down the um, levels of wood that they had on site. Well, boy, oh boy, they're bringing it down, Victoria. Thank you very much, Victoria Owen, from the Environment Agency. Um, We've had uh, a spokesman from Affinity Water has given us a statement. It's very long, but I'll just briefly read some of it. We're assisting the fire and rescue service fighting the fire at the recycling centre in uh, Beech Tree Lane. A pallet of bottled water was delivered to Hemel Hempstead Road at 3pm yesterday and is being distributed. We'd like to apologise for the inconvenience. Just let you know, the council, Hearts County Council won't come on, uh, and neither will the company that own the that site. Right. And Nadine Doris faced her second Bush Tucker trial last night and I'm a celebrity. Paul Scoynes, political reporter. We've not got much time, Paul, I'm afraid. Okay. I, oh, I do, do apologise. You're sounding grumpy as well. What? Well, I'm not grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> you say I'm sad, then you say I'm grumpy. Honestly. Oh, it's done with affection. You'll be asking me to step aside next. <laughs> you're so lucky you're not in this studio because you should have seen what we had lined up for you to eat. <laughs> what? Ha- I'll have to eat them now. What happened on the show last night? Uh, well, it was the infamous eating challenge uh, on the programme, and uh, Nadine Dorries was up against Helen Flanagan, who's in Coronation Street, and uh, they were put before them a, a series of pretty nasty food stuffs. Uh, a, a bait spider was the first, then a camel's toe. I think a rotten uh, ostrich egg, I think, was then given. See, the oh, egg no, a fermented like, duck egg. The yeah, egg sounds yeah. like the best thing out of it. I'd rather eat that than a camel's toe. Well, it did look very black and g- sort of greasy. Ooh, no one wants a black, greasy egg. Nice. No. And that was, that was Nadine's downfall, actually. She would have had a clean sweep of five uh, foodstuffs had she, um, had she eaten that, but she didn't. However, she did win the task because uh, her fellow competitor wasn't able to eat... I, I think she only ate three, so that means that, uh, that she lost. So, yes, Nadine did quite well, I thought. I thought she was quite brave. Do you, do, I think I'm softening to her, Paul. I, mm. I think her cunning mind plan is working and i'm softening <laughs> for her are you i think i am slightly do you know what i mean i you know i've i've never had an opinion on nadine Dorries, of course really, not we're I, impartial here at the bbc but um you know she can come across as quite uh, quite forthright and that can be slightly sort of uh, you know you, you can get an impression about somebody from that but i do think she is playing this sort of game mm. very well she sort of seems to be uh, the sort of camp uh, leader in some way she certainly does you know feel like she's organizing things she has had a bit of a contretemps with one of her fellow competitors hugo and i think it's slightly uh, playing up on the sort of posh boy sort of thing as well he's sort of went to boarding school and is in made in chelsea's quite sort of well spoken and of course she's got her famous sort of uh, history with the chancellor and the prime minister paul we have to end it there because we're out of time thank you very much apologies of course he's not grumpy he's one of the most in many ways paul is our camp leader but for different reasons thank you paul
political reporter and I'm a celebrity watcher. A little bit later than usual, here's the news with Catherine. The MP for Mid-Bedfordshire seems to have bitten off more than she can chew. Nadine Dorries has been forced to face another challenge on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, swallowing the private parts of various animals to win points for her team. But the backbencher does have some standards. She drew the line at fermented duck egg. Former Liberal Democrat MP Lembit Opik, himself a previous contestant on the programme, and Ian Lee's favourite Come Dine With Me guest, says she's a jolly good sport. I completely agree with Nadine's decision. Why? Because it's authentic. And I think that one of the great complaints that people have about politics is they're all grey, you can't connect with them, that the public don't really uh, deal with politicians in a real way. She's coming across in the environment of an entertainment programme which millions of people watch. Thanks, Catherine. A composition by Blur's David Orban will be played. <laughs> don't, 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 don't just just move on from I that. You, I know you miss him terribly. You've played a clip of my nemesis, <laughs> Lembitopic. Who? Yes, he was. They re-showed my episode of Come Dine with Me yesterday. Did Lembit- they? Yeah, apparently so. Yes, I, was, uh, I, I, I watch it every time it's on, which is about <laughs> once a week, and it brought back the horror of that week flooding back. Please continue with the news. Thank you. Still, didn't he beat you? Get on with it. A composition by Blur's Damon Albarn will be played to mark 90 years of the BBC later. In cricket, Hertfordshire fast bowler Stephen Finn will definitely miss England's first test against India tomorrow. Watford-born Finn hasn't recovered from a strained thigh. The weather a dull start, but getting brighter later. Ooh, a strained ten- thigh. Wah. Sorry, I have to apologise. You're doing the news. Carry on, sorry. You just said it with like a little wah in your voice. Oh, strength, I... I can't help the wah. It's just the way I talk. (sighs) Carry on. 11 degrees Celsius, the high. That's 52 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport without interruption, hopefully. Online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. The longest bulletin ever. Oh, with the the first for news, yes. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Well done, there we go. I do apologise, sorry. It's like the last day of term here. It's because Jonathan Vernon-Smith isn't in the building. We're all rejoicing. We've all come in in Mufti. <laughs> it's his birthday. He's out and about. He's got a very special show planned. I, I won't say anything. He'll tell us in about 10, 15 minutes. Very special show plan, which I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing. You could go and meet him. You could touch Jonathan Vernon-Smith. That could actually happen. Dreams can come true. OK, back to this. In the next hour of the show, former Luton South MP Margaret Moran did fiddle her expenses. We speak to Esther Ranson, who stood for her seat. Junk mail is set to make up an even greater share of the average postbag. When did you last send a letter, a proper letter? And Milton Keynes dons are to play AFC Wimbledon. If you've been listening to the show, oh, it's a bit tense, isn't it? Will you be going to the game? Lots of ways you can get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text us, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. The best way, and, and let's be honest, the, the, my preferred way of you getting in touch, give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, back to more serious matters. The Taxpayers' Alliance say they feel like justice hasn't been done after former Luton South MP Margaret Moran was found to have fiddled her expenses to the tune of £53,000. According to the House of Commons, in 2009, she repaid £6,000 in relation to claims on her second home in Southampton and 65 quid back for office cleaning. Following the ruling yesterday, the Crown Prosecution Service say they will look to see if any action might be taken in the recovery of funds. She can't be sent to jail like other MPs who've been convicted of fraudulently claiming expenses as she wasn't mentally fit enough to stand trial. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, looks back on her time in politics. She was one of the original Blair babes selected in 1997 from an all-women shortlist, a practice itself eventually ruled unlawful. But despite Margaret Moran's fall from grace, there are those in 
Luton who remained loyal. When Declan Duggan's son was killed in a car crash, he fought to change drink-drive laws so that an unconscious driver could be tested for alcohol. Margaret set me up with all the meetings with various different ministers at different times. Margaret was instrumental in getting me to meet all the civil servants who drew up policy documents. Um, what she did was open up so many doors for someone like me. You know, that's something that you just can't forget. And, uh, she, you know, as a constituency MP, she was absolutely first class. Her ability to open doors increased after her re-election. Now a whip, she used her position to fight for the town and its moments of crisis, like when Vauxhall was threatened with closure. They just decided that Luton was a dot on the map as far as they were concerned and it was going to be closed. Well, this, that isn't good enough. She championed victims of domestic violence and particularly forced marriage, but her support for the Iraq war lost her friends in the Muslim part of town and saw her majority reduced in the 2003 election. Then, in 2004, it was revealed she had spent more in expenses than any other MP still sitting, £168,000. Just a hint of the scandal to come. Richard Stay is the deputy leader of Central Bedfordshire Council. Margaret Moran um, is a disgrace not only to um, her party, to the people she represented. I've been one of her constituents since 1997 when she was first elected to Luton South. I think in 2005 when I stood against her as the Conservative um, candidate, we knew something was wrong then. The level of expenses that were being put through uh, her parliamentary expenses account. But what came out later, further down the road, I think certainly shocked me. Margaret Moran spent the whole of her last year in office away from her constituency claiming ill health. Conspicuous by her absence, there was a new face on the block. TV presenter Esther Ranson fought for her seat in the 2010 election. It's time for independents to stand against these entrenched MPs um, because maybe we have different standards. The years and the scandal have taken its toll on the former Luton South MP. At one of her last public appearances before Westminster magistrates, she looked practically unrecognisable, physically crushed and hunched and sobbing continuously. Deserted by her influential friends, she left a sorry figure. Well, Esther Ranser joins me now. Uh, morning, Esther. Good morning. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I was interested to hear praise for her because when I was um, spending quite a lot of time, as you know, in Luton, mm. I didn't hear anybody speaking well of her. In fact, people who had tried to contact her, rung her, sent letters or emails, asked for interviews, told me that they never got a reply, that when she was invited to function, she didn't turn up. When she wasn't invited, she did turn up. So I got a picture of a very odd behaviour. And in a way, I'm not surprised that she has now been deemed mentally unfit to stand trial because she was so odd that it did occur to me to wonder whether she was suffering from some sort of mental health problem. You thought there could have been problems before? You, you, you recognise that there may have been some kind of mental deficiency when she was an MP? Well, I didn't think anybody could be quite so unpredictable and odd without there being an underlying problem. And what really concerned me was that when the Telegraph revealed her expenses, particularly the £23,000 she spent on a Southampton house, not in Luton, not in Westminster, in Southampton, I couldn't understand why her local constituency party instantly sprang to her defence. 
And it occurred to me to wonder why they hadn't reined her in, why they hadn't found a way of disciplining her or persuading her that maybe she should give up if she couldn't do the job. A lot of people um, that I've spoken to yesterday feel cheated that that um, she won't be going to jail or facing any kind of uh, the, the, the criminal charges like that. What do you think should have happened? Well, I think the truth should have been exposed, which it has been. I mean, £53,000 is absolutely appalling. And the sorts of things she did, the fake receipts, the work that was never done and so on. I mean, that is no doubt. That's theft. That's a crime. And I absolutely understand why people feel that the crime should be punished. But my problem is that when I saw her in that clip you described where she looked like a bundle of old washing in floods of tears, she just wasn't recognisably mm. the Margaret Moran that I remember with her saucy orange hat and her bright smile. And so it does occur to me to wonder if she really is suffering from a serious mental breakdown. Of course, I mean, there have been people who've said that and, in fact, you know, been uh, let out of jail because they've been found to be suffering from Alzheimer's and then have had a miraculous recovery. They've been on Strictly Come Dancing the, the next one. I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly, but yes, they do seem to suddenly get well. You think that this could actually be more entrenched and she's actually very seriously ill? Well, it, it does follow this odd pattern. I mean, you know, she, she, she just wasn't behaving like an MP, even, even a bad MP. People in Luton were telling me, and that's such a different picture from the one mm. your, your interviewee described, of, you know, the gentleman who said that she had actually worked quite hard on his behalf. So I do wonder if something was going wrong. But, of course, that doesn't explain or excuse stealing money from the public purse, which is what she clearly did. Do people trust MPs? anymore. It kind of felt like we were just starting to get our trust back with them after the scandal of last year, a couple of years ago, and then this kind of comes up again, and it's it's knocked it back a bit, perhaps. Certainly. I think Margaret Moran did more damage to the image of MPs in this country than any other single person, much more, I think, than things like the Duck House and the Moat, because this was a people's MP, a left-wing MP, an MP who claimed to stand up for women and for ordinary people, who was milking the expense system for all it was worth. And that, that was very disillusioning indeed. But I'm more disillusioned by the fact that her party did nothing to expose or restrain her, that she was not deselected until, actually, if you'll pardon me saying so, I came on the scene and said, you know, enough, no more. And then and then she was. But, you know, how could the party put up with her? Why is there no machinery for a constituency like Luton to say, we don't want you anymore? And there still isn't. Speaking of uh, MPs who are perhaps letting the side down a bit, what do you think of Nadine Doris in the jungle? Yes, well, there you are. <laughs> you sound like my mum then. Yes, well, there you well, are. Well, <laughs> you see, when I was in Luton, she was in mid-Bedfordshire, and she lost no opportunity to criticise me. Um, so you would expect me to say that I don't think she's um, doing a very good job. I can see why her voters um, and her party are pretty fed up with her. I suppose um, she's a bit of a stranger to self-doubt, isn't she, as Nadine? And I suppose she thought she'd go in there, win, and become the toast of the nation. I, I, in that, those opening titles, when you see her in a red dress winking, a la Anne Robinson, you do realise that she thinks she's already winning our hearts and minds. 
I think there may be a, a sorry disillusion for her ahead of her. Esther Ranson, always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on. And Jonathan is, is preparing a very, very special show today. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed simply because normally at this time of the, of the show, Jonathan would come in and he'd say something incredibly vulgar and uh, slanderous about a member of the team or a politician or a celebrity just before we go on air. He's not, Jonathan, you're not in the studio today. What on earth is going on? I'm in Shefford. That's where I am. <laughs> oh, it sounds like you're chomping on against us. Are you eating, man? What's going on? No, no. I've just had a nice cup of coffee. Good for you. And I'm ready for action at nine o'clock. I, I'm disappointed because it's your birthday, and I did promise you a lovely birthday wrestle. And yet you yes, seem I to know, th- I, strayed away from me. Yes, I know. I know. But uh, but I'm here, and I don't... I, somebody told me that you might have given me my present here. No one's giving me anything. Is, is, is there not um, uh, Gareth there, or somebody, a member of the, the team? Oh. Said, you oh, should be on. getting... There are two presents for you from hang me. On, here's one. Bought by myself. Open the small one first. Is this uh, Christmas wrapping paper? It, it may be. That's how much I love you. Hang on a minute. This is very kind of you, honestly. Very exciting. Now, what is this? Have a look. Tell the listener... And you can oh thank my me. word! Look at that! You've given me yes. You've given me my own electronic gun. We got. We had so much fun shooting, and I couldn't buy a real gun because they're, they're really expensive, and that was only a pound in the Poundland. Uh, and so you can you can practice shooting at home. That's very kind of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna be shooting everyone look, in Shefford. Look at the back of it, though. I've written uh, a little birthday message on the back of that in silver pen. To JVS, happy birthday from Ian. There we go. Happy birthday. My word. With this, you're really spoiling me. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not because that, I know you think that's good. That's the jokey present. Here comes present number two. This is the real present. This wasn't from Poundland. This cost me, I'm going to say it, £6.99. Yeah, from Bargain House (laughs) in George Street, Luton. (laughs) It's a good shop, Bargain House. I like it. I know that because you've left the receipt in there. <laughs> in, in case you, you now, you might have it already, so you can take it back. Oh right, hang on a minute. It You're feels, like this. Uh, big. This is good. This is good. This is lovely. This is art. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Not what I was expecting to hear. Describe oh it to the boys and girls. Oh my good lord! It's like <laughs> it's a, it's like a painting. With a hologram inside, and and if you hold it one way, you've got two dogs, and if you hold it the other way, you've got a cat. But what what I love in particular is the fact that if you hold it at a certain angle, you can also see a label on the back of it that says "Made in China." <laughs> those Chinese are excellent at making those hologram pictures. Well, you like cats, don't you? Yes. And you normally you, you like. <laughs> How rude! And you you you've seen dogs before. So now I have to be honest. This is my local Indian takeaway. I've got a very similar re- uh, picture on their wall of a waterfall that moves. This is quite the most revolting thing I've ever oh seen in my no. life. Oh no! Now that's not fair. That cost me six ninety nine. That's more than I spent on my mum's birthday present. Yeah, but the good news is I've still got the receipt. <laughs> well, you can take you can take it back to that shop, Jonathan, if you don't like it, and you can get no. something for equal value. No, listen, I want to say that's very, very sweet of you, and I'm genuinely, I'm so touched that you gave me such gorgeous birthday presents. When Thanks. I come, when I come to, I've got one of those guns as well, so we can play, and then when I come to your house, and I'm sure you're going to invite me soon, I want to see that picture hanging up, and not in the toilet, in an important room, the bedroom or the living room. Mm, yeah. What's happening okay. on the show this morning, Jonathan? Well, <sighs> so I am rude. here in So Shepherd. rude. I'm going to tell my wife, so rude. Let me just turn it. <laughs> What's he, what's he doing? 
Go on, you carry on. I'm just talking to my team off there. He's so. Oh, what are you saying? But nothing. I'm, t- no, I'm turning my microphone down. I'm very disappointed. Tell us what's happening on your show at oh, nine right. o'clock. Okay. Well, listen. He's wearing we his all suit know and that the Conservative MP for Mid Bedfordshire, she's not here in her constituency, fighting for the needs of her constituents. She's in the jungle. And if you saw her last night, she was eating orangutan's anus or something like that. Quite disgusting. The fact is, she's not here, but I am this morning. From nine o'clock, I'll be doing the JVS show live from Shefford. This is the home of her constituency office. If you are one of her constituents, if you're having a constituency problem that normally you would take to your MP, but you can't because she's in Australia, today I want you to come to Shefford and I want you to tell me your problem. I can't guarantee that I'll be able to help with everything, but I'm here, I'm listening, and if I can help, I will. Also, on this morning's big phone-in on the subject of Nadine, I'm asking, is Nadine Dorries a good sport or a bad MP? Did you see her last night, Ian? Where's he gone? Sorry, you talking... What? Did you see Nadine Dorries it, last it, it night? It doesn't matter. Could you please hurry up? <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's it's eight twenty-two. You're eating into my show, man. I know you're out. I know you're wearing a suit and you've got a hat with corks on, but just get on with it. No, well, I didn't uh, see it. Well, most of that time was taken up opening your your presents. Presents, I know exactly. I've done a good. Th- Listen, I've got a guest who wants to talk about young people not being able to find work. <laughs> Hurry up! Right, look from nine. Call me. Is Nadine Dorries a good sport or a bad MP? Oh eight four five nine four double. Call 08459 455555. Oh, going on. 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm sorry, John. This is going on for too long. If you want, he has dressed up smart. If you want to see what he's wearing, then go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. And you can have a He's dressed up very, very smart. It does look good. Now, on to more serious issues for the moment. If your son or daughter is struggling to get an interview, let alone a job, then they are not alone. According to a study out today, most of them are applying for 17 positions before being offered an interview. Well, employment statistics show that many job seekers blame the schooling system, while half admit they could do more personally to get a job. Sarah Big is from the Central Youth Volunteering Project in Bedfordshire, and she joins me now. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. You help prepare young people for the world of work. How do you do that? What, what, what do you do with them? Um, we find um, various different volunteering opportunities for young people to give them work experience um, and to help prepare them for when they are looking for work. What kind of volunteering roles do you find for them? Um, there's everything. There's something for all types of people. We've got um, sports with children, with the elderly, animals at various local events. It's a real mixture. I'm a big fan of, of volunteering, and up until I took this job, I, I volunteered at Great Ormond Street for, for a couple of years. I love it. But for those who don't know, what kind of skills can people get that might be useful in finding a job? Um, again, it's a real mixture. and um, Depending on what you're doing, it's great for um, your communication skills. A lot of young people come out from school, and other than their, their peer group and parents and teachers, they've never really communicated with adults. So when they go into a workplace or an interview... They've no real experience, so working with organisations and um, doing volunteering, it's a great way to start talking to and finding out how you conduct yourself um, in different environments. When I was at school, it was always uh, told me, I didn't really listen to it until much later on, that, that, that having volunteering work on your CV it looks pretty good. Is that, is that still the case now? Do, do employees, uh, employers sorry, look, look for that kind of stuff? Absolutely, even more so now because um, lots of young people, they're all coming away from school, they've got their GCSEs or their other qualifications um, 
and if 90 odd people are applying for a job and they've all got the same qualifications you need something on your cv or your application to make you stand out from the rest of them volunteering is perfect for that because it's shown that you've been active with your time and that you really want to find a job and you want to to do something with your life and also it's but people say oh it's it's so no it's so good of you to to do volunteering and give you a, it's not completely selfless is it because you do get a lot personally from doing it absolutely yeah i mean um volunteering is great because it's helping the community it's helping people that need it um, these days, organisations and charities are even more so relying heavily on volunteers. But um, for any age, particularly young people at the moment, there are so many benefits. It's a great way to meet new people. Um, it's something to go on your applications, on UCAS applications. Brilliant work experience. And um, you can just develop so much personally from it. Um, confidence, self-esteem. It's the benefits are endless, really. And Sarah, have your young volunteers gone on to find full-time work? Um, my project is for young people 13 to 18, so lots of them are just applying for part-time jobs, maybe at the weekend mm. or, or a couple of hours after school. But um, the feedback is that having volunteering, having something to talk about when they go to an interview, even if it is just for part-time work, is helping them. And hopefully when they leave school or they go on to college and then look for full-time work, They'll have the experience and it will help them then. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Sarah Big from the Central Youth Volunteering Project in Bedfordshire. Uh, and if you want to find out more about volunteering in Bedford and Luton, visit voluntaryworks.org.uk. T- talking earlier on about the, uh, the, the uh, football match that's uh, causing controversy between AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons. Phil says, I feel sorry for the Wimbledon fans. Imagine that your local social club, one with a long history that had its roots through your society, was being taken away to try and make more money elsewhere. And why, do, why does MK persist on still using the name Dons? How about suggestions for a better name? I'll start it off with the MK Suburbanites. Phil. Ben in Buckingham says, uh, uh, I'm a huge MK Dons fan as I have a cap and rain jacket with the club's logo I wear every day. I can't wait for the Wimbledon match to shut those whiners up. And Steve says, if you find an MK Dons fan, ask them who they really support, i.e. the club they adored as a child. I'm surprised, because when this was mentioned yesterday, there's innocent old naive me, doesn't know anything about football, going, yeah, OK, we'll do it. I don't really understand the history. But there's a lot of passion and a lot of anger about this. Very quickly, just as let you say, you know, Jonathan is out and about this morning from nine o'clock. It's going to be a completely different show. Uh, and I think it's going to be well worth a listen. It's going to be brilliant. He is out. Uh, he's in Shefford in the High Street, just by the War Memorial. You know where that is? He's going to be there between nine and twelve. Go over to him. Go and say hello. He's a nice man, really. Go and shake his hand. Go and look at the birthday presents I got him and tell him he's very ungrateful. If you've got a problem... Uh, that um, you're, you would have taken to your MP, Nadine Doris, go and take it to Jonathan, and he'll have a darn good crack at trying to sort it out for you. Uh, you can get in touch as well, Show at bbc.co.uk. It's going to be a, a cracking listen today. He's got, he's got all the team wearing T-shirts as well. I know. <laughs> I, mean, I want to get my team to wear T-shirts. That's what I want. I'll make it happen. Don't worry, I'll make it happen. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
And for those of you panicking, do not panic. We are, we are doing our best to try and get a photograph of the presents that I gave to Jonathan Vernon-Smith earlier on in the show, and we will put those on the various and relevant social networking sites, so don't panic. Coming up in the last half an hour of the show, if you're travelling to Europe today, you're being warned to expect disruption due to strikes taking place in all the usual places. Find out how Luton Airport is affected. And Royal Mail wants to have more junk mail. How much do you get through your letterbox every day? If your post has come this morning, could you do me a favour? Go and have a look and count how much junk mail you've got. Pizzas, taxis, charities, all of those things. Sky, Virgin, all of that. Go and count and give us a call. 08459 555 and let us know. Now, Luton Airport passengers are being warned that European strike action could lead to flight disruption today. People planning trips to Spain, Greece, Portugal and Italy are advised to check with their airlines. A number of airlines have already cancelled flights due to the planned walkouts over austerity measures. Spain has been one of the countries particularly badly affected by the Eurozone crisis. And our Europe reporter, Duncan Crawford, joins us this morning from Barcelona. Morning, Duncan. Good morning. Where are you? It's very noisy. I'm in uh, Plaza de Catalonia, which is one of the central squares in Barcelona, where you can hear the noise already. That is uh, union workers beeping horns. Uh, they've also been setting off what sounds like fireworks here. There's probably a few hundred at the moment, but we're expecting tens of thousands on the streets later on today, all of them protesting against the austerity measures which the government has brought in, the tax rises and spending cuts, which they say uh, is destroying the Spanish economy. Already a quarter of adults are out of work here. There's 50% youth unemployment and now I'm told one in ten of Spanish households, both parents are out of work. So they want the government to focus on growth measures to try and get more people into jobs. The people I've been speaking to telling me they're very unhappy about the way the country's going at the moment. It sounds... What time is it there? Half ten? Uh, yeah, roughly, roughly, yeah. So it, it sounds chaotic already. How much disruption is there expected to be there today? Well, a lot of disruption because civil servants, hospital workers, teachers, taxi drivers, metro staff, train drivers, bus drivers, you name it, they're all going on strike today. At least large numbers of them are, particularly uh, in terms of the airports, there's going to be widespread disruption. We know that already hundreds of flights have been cancelled across Europe. Many more have been delayed as well. So if you are flying in or out of Barcelona today or, into, or out of Madrid or elsewhere in Spain or Portugal, Portugal, Greece or Italy for that matter. Do check with your airline whether or not your flight will be running or not. Go to the website, you'll have the latest information and if your flight has been cancelled then in almost all cases you will be able to rebook for free. Will it make any difference this protest Duncan? Uh, Certainly speaking to people here the majority probably honestly don't think it will. The government here have embarked on a, on a direction which is austerity measures to get the very high debt and deficit down. But having said that, in the last week it's been quite interesting in Spain because hundreds of thousands of people have been evicted for not paying their mortgages from their homes uh, over the last few years. On Friday, a woman who was being evicted uh, from her home uh, jumped from the fourth floor 
window and killed herself. It's created a national outrage here because there have been some other similar cases. And now the banks have said that they will not force people out of their homes if they are the most vulnerable members of society. So there has been a change in policy there after a national outrage. So the hope is from demonstrators that if hundreds of thousands or even millions take to the streets today, not only here in Spain but also in Portugal and Greece and elsewhere, then that will force policymakers to change course. Duncan Crawford uh, reporting from Barcelona, a noisy Barcelona. Thank you very much. They do know how to protest on the continent, don't they? They do, they do it, uh, everyone does it, and they do, whether you agree with it or not is it, almost irrelevant, but they, they, they do it, and they make a noise, and they make a fuss, and they get attention. Over here, it's like, yeah, you know, no, don't change anything. In Europe, in Greece, in Spain, in Italy, they go and they make a big noise and really kick up a stink. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, here's some exciting news. Well... You know, Saturday, between six and nine, who's doing the breakfast show? It's Paul Ross, who I got involved with in some Twitter banter yesterday. Twitter was very odd. I woke up, uh, I had a little doze in the afternoon. I had a very, very uncomfortable dream. Very uncomfortable dream. Woke up and immediately went to Twitter. The thing I've learnt is, don't go to Twitter when you've had a bad dream and you're a little bit foggy of the head. Because you get involved in all kinds of nonsense. I was arguing with people. And Paul Ross popped up to say hello. Uh, he, he's going to be doing the breakfast show on Saturday. Uh, there'll be a reaction to the result of the police commissioner elections. A local sporting hero will pick three of their favourite music tracks. There'll be a review of Saturday's papers with the author of Make Wealth History uh, blog, Jeremy Williams. Uh, and there'll be top tunes to get your weekend going. Paul Ross, Saturday from 6 on BBC 3CR. And no doubt... He'll be telling some interesting showbiz stories, as he always does. He's a cracking listen, poor us, and I thoroughly recommend it. Meanwhile, there's 22 minutes of the show here. If you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. And all morning, we've been talking uh, about junk mail. This is because Royal Mail wants to post more rubbish through your letterbox to help turn a profit. Little junk mail fact for you here. It makes up nearly half of all the letters you get through the post. I dispute that. I'd say I get more junk than I do letters. If you've had your post this morning, could you just go and count how many pieces of junk you've had? You can just just text in how, ma- how many pieces of junk you've got in the mail this morning. 81333. Starting your text, 3CR. Um, but if it meant that it was cheaper for you to post your letters, would you mind getting a bit more junk? Ian Senior is from Kings Langley. He's an economist who specialises in the postal industry. Ian, is, is this a good idea? Well, yes, from the point of view of Royal Mail, it certainly is a good idea. They're faced with a a market which is declining by something like 6 or 7% in volume terms every year for real letters because they're getting more expensive and because people much prefer to send emails. So they still find there is demand from advertisers for what people call junk mail. And there are really two forms of junk mail. There's addressed junk mail, which says Mr. Senior on the envelope, and inside it may even say, Dear Mr. Senior. So that's a personalised form of junk mail. And then there's the total junk mail, which is simply a flyer, some of it not in an envelope at all, and that's just pure junk. Now, so long as advertisers find they get some sort of return on their junk mail sent via Royal Mail, and so long as Royal Mail finds that it can make some sort of profit on delivering the stuff, then, okay, that will go on. But uh, Royal Mail benefit, Ian, but, but do we benefit? Do the public get any benefit out of it? 
Well, on, a, on an individual basis, yes, a, a few do, because suddenly something comes through the post and they think, my goodness me, I've never thought of having double glazing in my house before, and here's a special offer. So once in a while, maybe one piece of junk mail in 20 or 30 may have some resonance with people who receive it, but the, the great majority does, I'm afraid, go straight into the bin. Well, I was going to say, it, I don't even look at it anymore. Did, did, what are we supposed to do with all this junk mail, Ian? Well, uh, I, I like you, I'm quite sure. I put it into my re- recycling bin, so uh, I, I just don't use the contents at all. But uh, just one thing I would add, and that mm. is that the charities are still great senders of, of unaddressed or addressed mail even. And I think most of us would like to feel that if the charities get some return for it and more people give to could to charities, then that ha- that has to be all right. So there is something of an exception, but most junk mail is from your local Indian restaurant or from your local uh, your local double glazing company. We've had listeners to this program uh, today, and it, this never occurred to me. They've got arthritis; they, it hurts them to bend down and pick up all this rubbish. Is there any way that they can stop it being delivered? You can try putting no no junk mail on your door if you want to, but I'm afraid Royal Mail isn't going to um, do a kind of selection process on the door, on your doorstep. Um, so I don't think that's going to work. Only if there's a sufficient um, uh, voice from the general public to Royal Mail saying, look, we don't want junk mail, it's, it's a waste of time. And, and so if our doorstep if our front door says no junk mail please just don't send it when that starts happening then the advertisers will realise maybe that they shouldn't be sending junk mail because they're not getting a return Ian we've been asking our listeners this morning and I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question when was the last time sir that you sent a letter that wasn't sending a cheque in the post that wasn't anything like that that was a proper letter to a human being I think I probably probably send about three or four a week but that's probably more than a lot of people yeah wow that's fantastic and these are these are to proper people aren't they? Y- yes indeed they are um because there are some firms i mean for example solicitors you have to send them a piece of paper with a proper signature on for example um and then i send the occasional check through the post still which of course you've mentioned um but it uh, you're, you're right in saying that people who have personal computers at home, and we all do, or tablets or or mobiles, will use texting or will use emails every time if they possibly can, and the letter, the proper letter, is now the last resort. Ian Senior, uh, from King's Langley, an economist, thank you very much indeed. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I like letters. I do like letters, and I uh, make sure that my kids, even though they're too young to do it, always send the, the thank you note. The thank you note or the thank you card, very, very important. My little niece and nephew, Dylan and Pepper, they do it. They've been brought up, always brought up to send a thank you card. What's weird, and I've had this in the past, I've sent a thank you card for something, and then that person has sent a thank you card for the thank you card. Whoa, when does that stop? How far does that keep going on, that chain of events? Always send a thank you card, and it's nice. And also, I send kind of, not necessarily letters, but but bits and pieces through the post to my niece and nephew, because they're seven and five, I think, seven, yeah, seven and five. And they love, they love getting letters and, and packages and bits and pieces through the post. There's nothing more exciting, is there, than getting a package through the post when you're a kid. 
it makes you feel all grown up and all special and all wonderful. I do want to know if you've had your post this morning, and let's be honest, the post comes later and later these days. I remember you used to get the first post was at 6.30, second post was at 2 in the afternoon. Do you remember that? Now my post comes, it's about midday. But if you've had your post this morning, just quickly count how many bits of junk mail you've had and then send us a text, 81333. Very excited, just been told that uh, the team is about to put on the Facebook page a picture of Jonathan Vernon Smith with the, the birthday presents I bought him. Can't wait to have a look at that. I'll have a little look while we play this. Bear with me a second. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3C. Huh? Let's have a look at... Oh. That's Jonathan holding my presents. Well... Well, that's just rude, isn't it, to be honest? He could have made an effort. He won't be getting anything for Christmas. Now, elections take place to find our new police and crime commissioners tomorrow. You might have already voted because many people have elected for postal votes, or you might be going to the voting booth tomorrow. When you get there, you'll find the way you cast your vote is a little bit different to a normal election. It's the supplementary vote. Here's BBC Three Counties political reporter Paul Scoynes with a handy guide. When you walk into the ballot box tomorrow, you'll notice there are two columns on the ballot paper, one for you to make your first choice, one for your second choice. If you're from Watford or Bedford and you voted for your mayor in the past, you'll have already used this system. Voters mark one X in each column, although you don't have to make a second choice if you don't want to. All the first choices are then counted, and if a candidate has over 50%, they're elected, contest over. However, if no candidate has a majority, the top two candidates continue to a second round, and all other candidates are eliminated. Then the second choice votes of everyone whose first choice has been eliminated are then counted. Any votes for the remaining candidates are then added to their first round totals. Whoever has the most votes after these second preference votes have been allocated is the winner. This does mean that even if you win the first round, there's no guarantee you'll win the election if the majority of people have put someone else as their second choice candidate. Thank you, Paul, for explaining that. Katie Ghosh is a chief executive, uh, is chief executive of the Electoral Reform Society. Morning, Katie. Good morning. It sounds a bit complicated to me. You vote twice. Well, you have um, two choices, so should be quite straightforward, um, as your reporter explained. So there are two columns, one for your first choice and another for your second choice. Um, so, so that's the, all there is to it, really. It is the system that's used to elect um, the Mayor of London mm. and mayors across the UK. Um, and I guess one of the things um, for people to understand that you get two preferences. So if your first choice isn't elected, there's a, still a chance for you to have your say over who the police commission What if you don't be. like anyone else? You only like one person? Um, that's absolutely fine. You can just you put one little cross. To, you can just pop one in the first um, column, one cross in the first column. Okay. That, that's absolutely fine. Are you happy with the way this election's been conducted? Um, not at all. We think the elections are shaping up to be a complete shambles Go on, why? to finish. Um, we think it's been uh, one blunder after another. The biggest problem has been the lack of information. What people are telling us is they don't know what or who they are voting for. I think one of the biggest mistakes the government was made was to fail to give us the information in the post about who the candidates are. People are saying, we, we, we simply want to know who we are voting for. You know, what's the difference between them? Um, They've put that information online, which is no good at all for the 7 million people in this country who don't have regular access to the internet. And we think the other um, catastrophic
catastrophic mistake has been to hold the elections in the depths of winter. Mm. In most parts of the country, this is the only election happening. And we think that as a result of those mistakes, we could be seeing um, turnout fall to be the lowest in British election history. It does annoy me with, with things like this, when they put everything on online. They go, go, go and look online. I haven't got a computer. I'll go to the library. It's not as easy as that for, for a lot of people, is it? It's not, no. It really leaves people in the dark. And it, it's sad, actually, because people are saying, you know, I am interested. I mean, who among us isn't interested in how crime is tackled and how the mm. streets are policed? That's something we all care about. But people are rightly saying, look, if I don't know who I'm voting for, what's the point of getting myself to the polling station? So we think there are going to be some serious lessons to be learned from this. And, and we hope the government will pledge never to hold an election of this importance in the winter months again. Well, I I think they're saying, aren't they, that the next time this happens, it's going to be on the same day as kind of local elections, so th- hopefully that will generate a bigger turnout. We, th- there are figures, we've got a YouGov poll in front of me that says only 28% may vote. There are other polls that are suggesting even less. W- why aren't people voting? It's not, it can't just be because it's winter, can it? No, I think the lack of information um, is a very big issue here. You know, what we're hearing from people is saying, look, we don't know what we're voting for and we don't know who we're voting for. So we think that's a big reason um, for people turning off. I think the government has done too little too late when it's come coming to sort of this issue of how you give people the information they need to to sort of fill that encouragement to go to the polls. Katie Ghost, thank you very much. Chief Executive of the Electoral Reform Society. So there's there's a a different voting system that um, I have voted in mayoral elections in London, so I know, I kind of understand it, I can get my head around it. It seems to make kind of sense, but it's going to be a low turnout, isn't it? It's tomorrow. It's November 5 plus 10, as one of the candidates famously described it on Roberto's uh, show recently. And it's going to be it's going to be a low turnout. Are you bothered? Are you going to vote? A lot of you aren't. And it is important. Of course, it's important who's in charge of the the coppers and gets to, to say what the police do and where they do it and how they do it. But are you going to vote in that? got a couple of minutes if you want to give us a call 08459 455 555 i do recommend if you do want to find out more about the show and the station go to uh, um facebook facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr um and basically we kind of post bits and pieces about our show up there uh, and all the other shows post up bits and pieces you can go and have a look at a very very ungrateful jvs um, holding what I think are, are two excellent presents for his birthday. Look at that face. That's, that's actually rude. I'm not even joking now. That's a little bit, it's a little bit hurtful. All morning we've been talking about Margaret Moran, who has been found guilty of um, fraudulently claiming money but won't be sentenced because uh, she is not fit enough to, uh, to to serve any kind of sentence. Uh, Akbar is in Luton. Morning, Akbar. Uh, good morning. My name is Akbar, A-K-B-A-R. A-K-B-A-R. Akbar. Akbar. Uh, no, Akbar. Akbar. Yes. There we go. So we got there in the end, so apologies. Right. What What's your take on uh, this situation with Margaret Moran? Well, I hold no brief for, for Margaret Moran, and she did, uh, she did a very foolish thing to uh, to use the public funds uh, in in illegal manners. Um, but uh, she has been dealt by the process, and uh, and in in a way, she has been quite harshly dealt by the process because many people are in her position who have 
stood up and said we apologize to the British public and uh, what we did and we are we will refund the funds. She's not gone to prison though, has she, Akbar? Some of, some of the other people have gone to prison. Yes, she's not going to the prison for the reason that she is not in good health. And we don't uh, know if she's going to be forced to pay the money back. Yes. £53,000 of your money, Akbar. Yes, that's my money, but at the same time, I'm not willing to support any 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 action which will which will fork out another fifty thousand pound uh, pounds uh, for legal process to 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 get those fifty pounds. Akbar, so Akbar, she she forged documents for for building work that she di- didn't have done from fake building companies for like twenty odd grand, and you paid for it. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I I agree that she did a very silly and foolish thing, and she has been punished for that, and rightly so. But at the same time, now she's uh, she's not in good health, and she can't stand the trial, and she wouldn't be sentenced. And 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 this idea of pursuing her in civil courts is uh, is not a cheap one. It's an expensive okay. idea, and uh, it 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 wouldn't be right thing for us to, as taxpayers to fork. Uh, you don't want to see more money being spent. I'm going to move on to running out of time. Thank you very much. Uh, on the subject of the uh, the elections coming up, uh, Mick near Milton Keynes. Morning, Mick. Uh, good morning. What's your take on these uh, PCC's elections? Um, well, I won't be voting on them. Why? Um, well, I haven't received no information. Um, this booklet that Mr Cameron said we were going to be receiving, we haven't received that. The only thing we've received is polling card. And where I live, um, I'm not the only one. All the people in this area have not received one. So you don't think you've got enough information? I've got no information. Can you not go online and have a look? I could do, but if I if I can't be bothered to send me out any information, why should I go look? look why should I go uh, go and cast me vote? Do you, do you, do you have a computer? Yeah. So you you could if you wanted to, if you were yeah. really interested in it, you could go and have a look online and find out who's standing and what they stand for. Yeah. But you don't but, feel motivated to do that. Look, they can't be bothered to put uh, any information out for me. But it's online, but, Mick. You could go and have a look on the website. That doesn't matter. But they want me to cast my vote. Yeah. Why should I put, cast my vote for someone? who doesn't want to give me any information about them. What about all the people that around here haven't got computers? Yeah. Well, but you have got a computer. You could get the information and oh, share so it with your neighbours. Oh, so I'm going to walk the streets around here giving the information? Well, it'd be a nice civil thing to do, wouldn't it? I've got better things to do. I'll go and weed in the garden. Mick, thank you very much indeed. Don't go and read in the garden today, Mick. It's going to be cold. It's going to be blooming cold! It's interesting, isn't it, people's attitudes towards uh, these elections. Um, Mix, he's not been sent a leaflet, so he's not going to vote. He could look online. He's not going to look online. Well, I've enjoyed today. It's been fun. Lisa Hunter on Twitter. Yeah, I'm going to vote PCC. I usually vote the handsomest. This year, I'm totally scuppered. Oh, that's not fair, is it? Thank you for listening. Back tomorrow at six. Stick around, because Jonathan's show is, is really going to be something very special. I believe he's going to have some of this. Orangutans, ain't it? Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs>